This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the authentic Tex-Mex food of the Acuna Boys. Acuna Boys Sandwich and Pasty Shop, located right next door to the theater. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino week on Pod Cemetery with 1996's From Dusk Till Dawn and 2007's Grindhouse. But before we get into the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What is the movie poster tagline for the 1985 movie House? Hmm. I don't don't answer the door. I don't know. What is it? Ding dong, you're dead. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Our first film from Dust Till Dawn is based on a story by one Robert Kurtzman. We'll get into stuff he's worked on, but he has directed one movie that we have covered on this show. What movie is that? He wrote the story. He wrote the story to From Dust Till Dawn. He, he got directed... the story credit. And he directed one movie we've covered on this show. I don't know. Um, Fright Night. Good guess, but no. It was The Wishmaster. Hmm. Do you remember The Wishmaster? I don't think yeah. you like The Wishmaster. I really enjoyed The Wishmaster. <laughs> I thought it was just okay. It's such a silly movie, and I loved it. We're going to have to see the rest of the series. Yeah! <laughs> it's on the list. All right, our first movie, Kelsey, is From Dusk Till Dawn from 1996, with a story by Robert Kurtzman, screenplay by Quentin Tarantino, and directed by Robert Rodriguez, Starring Harvey Keitel, George Clooney, Juliette Lewis, Ernest Liu, Quentin Tarantino, Salma Hayek, Cheech Marin, Danny Trejo, Tom Savini, Fred Williamson, Michael Parks, John Saxon, and Kelly Preston. Those last two having cameo appearances on the TV. Uh, the story is by, like I said, Robert Kurtzman, who directed Wishmaster. He did special effects and makeup and all that kind of stuff. Various different roles. For movies such as Evil Dead 2, Predator, Nightmare 5, <laughs> Halloween 5, Bride of Reanimator, Misery. So he probably worked on that ankle effect in Misery. Uh... The People Under the Stairs, Army of Darkness, Jason Goes to Hell, Pulp Fiction, <laughs> New Nightmare. This movie he worked on. Uh, and all of its sequels, Scream, Boogie Nights, The Wishmaster, the movie he directed, <laughs> The Faculty, House on Haunted Hill, Green Mile, Thur 13 and Ghosts, <laughs> Cabin Fever, Vanilla Sky, The Children of the Corn TV movie that we saw, <laughs> John Dies at the End, It Follows, Tusk, The Bye Bye Man, <sighs> The Haunting of Hill House, 
and Doctor Sleep. So a wide swath of movies. Huge. Like, good and bad. <laughs> yes, a lot of good and a lot of terrible. He also did the ear slicing scene in Reservoir Dogs. Okay. He did it in exchange for Quentin Tarantino writing this script. This is actually Tarantino's first paid writing gig, as in somebody gave him money and told him write this script, as opposed to him writing something and then somebody buying his script. That's cool. Yeah. What is From Dust Till Dawn about? Two outlaw brothers take a family hostage and they go to wait for the outlaw's associates at a bar and the bar happens to have vampires. It is free on Vudu and HBO Max where the fucking sound mixing is god awful. I've noticed that about HBO Max, by the way. When we watched this, we literally had to crank the television up to 100. And we still could barely hear we it. still could barely hear it. Um, which was a real big bummer. But it's also on Vudu. Maybe it's better there. I don't know. And it's not our TV, guys. We do not normally have to do that. No, that's it, I, we've had to do it before on HBO Max. I don't know why it's that way. On certain things, we can't go past like 20 or it's really loud. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we watched it in our bedroom. So we don't have like a whole sound system set up or anything like that. It is $4 to rent on most services and as little as $7 to buy if you go to Prime or Google. Should people watch From Dusk Till Dawn? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is it great? Yes. I don't know about that. I think it's great. There's a lot about this movie that's kind of rough. It was it's a generally, very silly movie, but you, I mean, if you don't like right. silly, you're not going to like this. No, I don't mean that, but there are some effects that aren't that great. I mean, granted, it was 1996. Some deaths are really cool. Some are not so cool, and it's very obvious. And But really what this movie was is kind of just a showcase for Kurtzman's production house. It was like a big advertisement. In a way, I guess you could say. It was a lot of fun, so I would suggest you see it. Yeah. I mean, Robert Rodriguez does a lot of really good stuff. Have we done anything by him yet? I mean, he doesn't do much horror. Oh. You know, they tend to be just action films. Uh, or the Spy Kids franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Which Danny Trejo is in, by the way. <laughs> Danny Trejo is in so many Things that Robert Rodriguez did. <laughs> you could take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1996's From Dusk Till Dawn. For two of America's most dangerous criminals. Now, do you understand the meaning of the words low profile? One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. From Robert Rodriguez, from Quentin Tarantino. Welcome to slavery. No thanks. I already had a wife. From dusk till dawn. Rated R. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does From Dusk Till Dawn begin? We get this scene, and so, okay, it's Robert Rodriguez and it's Quentin Tarantino, so I'm not gonna go over... All of the beats. Like, there is so much going on oh, here. It's so dense. Yes. It's so dense. Every single image has so many things going on. And also, I'm not going to rag on it for 
the racism for the for the sexism for the like all that stuff the language all that stuff i mean if you aren't prepared for that to, when you're seeing a rodriguez or a tarantino film then right you shouldn't be watching those movies. Right. I mean, I hate to give a total pass. It A lot of stuff does not age well, number one. Number two, sometimes they're like that because, you know, these, these guys make movies about bad men. Yes. Usually you do not like their main characters. And if you do, it's because they have... They're like charming. <laughs> they have a good underside. Yeah. That you have to dig through to see. Sure, yes. Now, again, it's not like a total get-out-of-jail-free card or anything like that. Because one of the consequences of doing this kind of stuff is you make being bad cool. And one of the ways these guys are bad are ways that make society worse. It's not like, you know, like, little kids watching this movie aren't going to be like, all right, I'm going to rob a bank, you know. But the characters are bank robbers, so I don't feel worried about that having an influence on society. But all the shit they, they, they say, the way they talk, the way they treat people, I could see that having an impact on the way people behave. And I know a lot of total shitheads who just love Quentin Tarantino and all of his movies because it's like, oh, that's the way I want to act. Eh. <sighs> eh. Quentin Tarantino makes really good movies. That doesn't mean Quentin Tarantino is a good person. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, that's what you're in for. Yes. So if I were to whine about it, it would be the entire show. Yes. So we're not going to get into all of that. Just let this stand as a as a blanket statement that we're not on board with all the shitty ways all the shitty things people say, we recognize that that stuff is in these movies. Yes. So, in walks the town sheriff. Yes, Michael Parks. He plays Earl McGraw, which is the same character in both Planet Terror and Death Proof and Kill Bill. Started here in this Doesn't movie. Doesn't he die in he all of these He does die in this movie. So, chronologically... <laughs> Where does this lay, you know? Mm-hmm. So he walks in, and he's just having a bullshit conversation with the local liquor store owner. It's, you know, just this silly conversation. And the dude, the sheriff goes into the bathroom, and that is when we find out that while they've been having this long, like I said, bullshit conversation about nothing... There have been these two outlaws that have these women as their hostages yeah. in the back of the store. George Clooney, who is one of the thieves, walks up with the hostage and he's saying, okay, you know, I told you to hurry up. Why is he going to the bathroom? And the guy's like, what do you want me to do? This is what he does every day. Pretty sure I oh, I deserve a, a fucking Academy Award. Yeah, based really, on what's he been does. Going on here, he absolutely does because up to this point, if you haven't seen the movie before, you you don't expect there to be these dudes holding this place up, and that's what the sheriff just walked into. He's not acting nervous at all, right? And you do know that there are thieves running around because you've heard it on over the radio. Yeah, if you're 
TV volume works, which ours right. didn't. Well, that's we, why we use closed captioning. <laughs> yeah, we would only we only knew they were talking because of closed captioning. And then during the sheriff's conversation with the attendant, uh-huh. they talk about it. He says, oh, they should be coming right through here, and I'll be waiting for them. Supposed to be headed for the border. We should bring him right my way. Get my hands on him crazy, sick fucking bastards. Payback time. But George Clooney's thief brother, Tarantino. So George Clooney plays Seth Gecko, and Quentin Tarantino plays Richie Gecko. Not to be confused with Richard Grieco. Yes, that's <laughs> correct. That might be where the name comes from. Who knows? <laughs> he whispers over and tells George Clooney what? Oh, yeah. We get these moments where Richie is, he doesn't want to talk to anybody but Seth. He's kind of shy and nervous. And so he leans over to Seth and whispers something along the lines of, he gave the cop a signal. Yes, which the guy says, I absolutely did not, and we, the audience, knows that he didn't. So, the question of whether or not Tarantino's making it up, we don't really know. We do or find he's out, just paranoid. Right. We do find out later that he does have hallucinations. Yes. He has, I think, schizophrenia? Maybe. I think so. And he does imagine things, so we don't know if he lied or if he really thought he saw it. Yeah, and we also, we know from later on in the movie that when he does have these hallucinations, he thinks they're 100% real. Yes. Yeah. But before they can finish their conversation, the sheriff is going to come out of the bathroom, so George Clooney points the gun at the guy and he says, you, be cool. Uh And they go back into hiding. But what happens while they're hiding? Uh, Richie can't help himself, and he thinks that he's signaling them again, so he shoots the sheriff in the head. He thinks that the attendant was mouthing, help us. Yeah. (laughs) And it's great, because throughout the rest of this whole ordeal, the attendant will continue to shout, even though it's totally pointless, it does not matter anymore. I didn't signal him. (laughs) He will keep saying that, because he didn't. Yes, and we're getting we're learning about characters that Seth is obviously the leader of these two brothers that Richard is timid but has a short fuse it's probably the crazy one yes they they immediately shoot the cop for no good reason uh-huh and in the middle of this kerfuffle uh the girls get away so yeah. that's nice but they do end up shooting the attendant as well. Well, more than they shoot him first and then there's a gunfight and then they set him on fire uh, and, but and when he's on fire, <laughs> he jumps up and starts shooting at them wildly, which is a lot of fun. And when he falls to the ground, he, he falls, falls on the popcorn. On the popcorn, and it starts to pop, which yeah. is fun. And as they're leaving, what does Tarantino gingerly take? A map of Texas, because they are on their way to the border. They want to escape to Mexico. Mm-hmm. In this process, when the attendant pulled the gun first, it was a surprise because he had it in the safe, he shoots Tarantino in the hand. And now he has an open wound on his hand. Yes, a hole is right through his hand, and later he will actually look through it. It's fun. And they end up duct taping it closed. (laughs) Yes. We get fun music and font, which is a staple in the Tarantino Rodriguez uh, world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They are driving. Clooney is drinking, taking pills, as is... Tarantino, and what do they have in their trunk? They have a woman in their trunk. So we get the infamous 
you know, Tarantino style, even though this isn't his movie, shot from the trunk opening from inside. Yes. It's a lady from the last bank that they robbed. Yeah, she's a teller or something. That they're just holding her hostage, and Seth is trying to keep her calm. They go to a motel, and he's trying to keep her calm, and he's like, you know, hey, you be cool, and I'll be cool. You stay there, you don't say a word, and then at the end of all this, we're just going to let you go. Gloria, you hang in there, you follow the rules, and you don't fuck with us, and you'll get out of this alive. I give you my word. Okay. Yes, and we should mention that they were both incarcerated? No, he was, and Tarantino broke him out. So Clooney was. Yes. But unfortunately, he has to leave to go and do something. He's got to go check out the border. Just like in Revenge. Yeah. You leave the person behind with the woman that you should not do. Right. And what happens? He doesn't want to believe that his brother is twisted, even though he kind of knows it. Yes. He totally knows, but he also loves his brother. He just, yeah, he wishes it wasn't true, but wishing won't make anything happen. Right. So when he comes back and he's like, hey, where's the girl? Because the whole time he's very sweet. Hey, do you want to come in here and watch TV with me on the bed? And she's like very nervous, but obviously it's creepy as fuck. And then when Seth gets home, he's in the the main room of this motel room. Where's the, where's the, where's the woman? She's in there. And he goes to open the door and Tarantino's like, no, no, you don't want to go in there. Let me explain. He opens the door and it's just a bloody mess all over the bed. And Seth gets really pissed off. Mm-hmm. Like we don't do that. You know, like he has like the honorable thief code kind of thing. Like if I need to kill somebody who gets in my way, then I will do it. But we do not do this. To me, my fault. It's not your fault. Is this my fault? No, it's your fault. Is this my fault. fault? Do you think that this is what I am? No. This is not me. I am a professional fucking thief. I don't kill people that I don't have to. And I don't fucking rape women. What you are doing, what you are fucking doing, what you are doing is not how it's done. Do you understand that? Do you just say fucking yes? Say yes, Seth. I understand. Yes, Seth, I understand. Say, say yes, Seth. I fucking understand. I understand, Seth. I understand. Meanwhile, we get to meet Harvey Keitel and his two kids, Juliette Lewis and some other kid that you've never seen before. It's the Fuller family. Harvey Keitel plays an ex-minister. Jacob Fuller, Juliette Lewis plays his daughter, Kate Fuller. And Ernest Liu plays Scott Fuller. They're on a trip in their motorhome because Jacob just quit his job as minister. Because his wife died uh-huh. in a and, car accident. And he's like, it's not that I don't believe in God anymore. It's just I can't love them. So he's taking a leave of absence. And they're like, you know, they want you back. I'm not coming back. Yeah. But he explains that he is exhausted. And so they're going to pull over and stay at a motel. And they're like, why? We have a motorhome. Why yeah. would we stay in a motel? And he's like, well, I really want to stay in a bed. And they're like, but you want to stay in a motel, like a flop house? But you want to stay in the bed? Like, uh-huh. wouldn't you rather stay at a hotel? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, he doesn't care. He has low, he has low standards, but higher than... Listen, I have a motorhome and I will sleep here if I have to, but if I can get a bed, I'm going to get a bed. But also, Juliet Lewis wants to get in the pool. And yeah. I'm like, you're talking about how gross this place is and you want to get in the pool. It's like, well, if it doesn't have a pool, then we're going somewhere else. 
Also, throughout this part, we see, like, on TV or something, one of the cops who's after them. John Saxon. Yeah, Nancy's dad. But uh -huh. this, is, this is the only time you see him. Yep. And then we also see Kelly Preston, who is a news reporter. Kelly Preston being John Travolta's wife, who knows Tarantino from Pulp Fiction, obviously. And unfortunately for them... They are going to end up staying at the same motel as the two brothers. Yeah. If you remember in our last episode, we said it takes a while to get to the horror elements. Yep. It's still a really good movie in the meantime. Yeah, it's very good. It's a lot of fun, which is weird because there's a lot of horrible things that oh, happen yeah, in it. Oh, uh yeah. -huh. But they they make it fun. They make it good. George Clooney may be a little overacts. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I thought he did an all right job here. He, the the whole draw of this is that at the time, George Clooney was on ER. And he was <laughs> an incredibly huge star. But he was always good guys. And so we're going to have George Clooney play an awful, awful person. And so that was like kind of the draw. And so his it was his opportunity to kind of go ham on it. And I think that's exactly what he did. Okay. They just happened to pull up. And Clooney sees them in the parking lot, and it's like, perfect. We need to get over the border. Family in an RV, perfect way to get over a border. Yeah. So, Tarantino knocks on their door in the motel, saying, I need to ask you for a favor. Uh, when he opens it, he explains, I need an ice bucket. But when he goes to get it... He pulls a gun on him. Yes. And then in walks George Clooney. So the bad guy is the racist one in this situation? Yeah, because at first he's like, are you guys gay? Yeah. Uh -huh. And then they're like, no, he's my son. And he's like, well, then why does he look Japanese? And he's like, he doesn't. He looks <laughs> Chinese. And he's like, well, excuse me. <laughs> there are a lot of these sort of like racial moments in the movie. That are like, there, there's nothing like inherently racist about them, but, you know, they're they're racially charged, I guess you could say. I suppose so. Like when like when they ask uh, Richie later what's in Mexico and he says, Mexicans. Yes. Like, there's nothing racist about that, but it just sounds racial. <laughs> in walks Juliet Lewis, and thankfully she didn't scream, because if she had, I'm pretty sure he would have shot her. Uh -huh. The interesting thing here is that Clooney sends... Tarantino out, and then Clooney immediately tells her to get dressed. He calls her Gidget. Yeah, but he knows his brother's proclivities. Yes. While they're standing there, Tarantino thinks that Juliette Lewis turns to him and asks him, Richie, would you do me a favor and eat my pussy for me, please? Uh, sure. I'll absolutely do that for you. Yeah, but... Because Seth just asked him a question, it sounds like he's responding to him. So they end up taking them, getting them into their RV, and they explain that they all they want to do is get them across the border. Once they've met up with their people, they will let them go. On the way, George Clooney will tell Tarantino to put in his mouth card. Yeah. Little charming character moment there. Well, I guess, and it's supposed to be kind of a joke, but I'm like, why would he wear it during the day? Who grinds their teeth during the day and doesn't realize it? Probably Tarantino. <laughs> Good point. It's okay. Tarantino's not going to make it through a night, so they won't have this opportunity. <laughs> Clooney is up at the front talking to the dad while 
Tarantino is back talking to the kids. But he shouldn't be. Right. Uh, Clooney yells at him for talking to them. Because he keeps telling Juliette Lewis, you know that thing you asked me? I can do that whenever you want. And she's like, what are you talking about? You know that thing you asked me. I kind of like the way that she looks like to the side. Like she's trying to think, did I say something? Did I ask him to do something for me? Oh, we should probably say we've been talking this whole time. Juliette Lewis was in Natural Born Killers, which Tarantino wrote the first script for. That's how Tarantino knew of her, and that's why he wanted her in this movie. But so George Clooney explains that to get past the border, he is going to take Juliet Lewis and Tarantino, and they're going to hide in the bathroom, and Keitel and his others and his son are going to sit up front and talk to the people and get through that way. And if he doesn't, then bad things are going to happen to Juliet Lewis. Mm -hmm. That's what he tells him. The son, I think, is kind of right here. He says, why don't we tell the cops uh-huh. that they're back there? Because if it's, they had... It's short-sighted. It's incredibly short-sighted. You think these guys aren't going to blow their way out if they have to? You think that they're not going to shoot your sister in the fucking head the first sign of trouble? If those cops pull their guns and are going to take them away, they're going to go guns blazing. And if not all of you, at the very least, your sister is going to die. <laughs> now, granted, granted, everyone but the sister dies. Spoilers. <laughs> but. But we didn't know that. Right. How would you? I mean, you can't reasonably expect that there is going to be a, a vampire den that you're going to wander into. So, like, come on. That's why Kaitel has to be like, no, I make the plays and you back them up. That's how this works. We're going to get through this. But he's absolutely right because he says to his dad, bad guys never let you go. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely right. If they were real, they wouldn't let them go. Probably not. Yeah, these are very, a lot of Tarantino movies. They're very idealized versions of criminals, you know, <laughs> not as perfect people, but the cool criminals. And this is the first time that we see Cheech. Yes, first of three times that we see Cheech Marin playing a role. In this t- in this case, he's a border guard. And at first, everything's going just fine. Harvey Keitel explains he's taking his son for a fishing trip down to Mexico. And at first, Cheech is going to be like, sure, that's great, go ahead. But then Clooney tells Tarantino to stop acting like a nut because otherwise they'll get caught, which yeah. makes Tarantino get angry and he's starting to get loud and uh-huh. he makes a noise, uh, which makes Cheech be like, hey, what was that in the back? Let us in. We're going to check it out. And Kaitel's like, oh, it's just my daughter in the bathroom. And he's like, hmm. I thought you said it was just you and your son. Exactly. Well, it's me and my son and my daughter. So he goes in and he opens up the door and she's literally sitting on the toilet. Do you mind... Shut the fucking door, please. Because uh-huh. Clooney has knocked out his brother. Yeah. And I'm right in the face. And then Juliet Lewis in that moment says, thank you. <laughs> yes. So where do they end up taking them? The titty twister. He says, uh, from what I hear, you can't miss it. And you absolutely can't. You no, want to there's like flames like. flying up, a giant neon sign where the hand is squeezing a nipple. Like, yeah, it's very, very obvious. Big trucks. It's a trucker biker bar. Yes, and they are supposed to wait there for... Carlos. Their friend in Mexico, who is again going to be Cheech. Yes. Clooney tells Tarantino when he wakes up that he had passed out, 
and that they're going to go inside and they're just going to drink until Carlos shows up. Tarantino's upset because his glasses are broken. Yeah. And of course, it says open from dusk till dawn. Yes. Which is a reference to Grindhouse Theater. As those theaters would be open from dusk till dawn. Hmm. That's where the that's where the term comes from. Interesting. Which is another reason why we're watching this with Grindhouse later. Yes. And as they are walking up, they see the Barker, who was also played by... Cheech Marin! That's right! This character's name is Chet Pussy, because he will say pussy a lot. He'll describe all the different kinds of pussy that you're going to see. Except that they don't want them to come inside. Because it's a family and two thug-looking guys, but obviously not bikers or truckers. Why do you think they want bikers or truckers? Because they won't be missed. They don't want anybody who's going to bring the heat down on them. But aren't people going to be upset that they missed their shipments? Yeah, but you don't know where the trucker's stopping. Mm -hmm. He's not going to write down that I stopped at the titty bar. (sighs) I do like at the end of his spiel, he says, if we don't got it, you don't want it. Pussy, come on, you want pussy? Come on in, pussy lovers. If we don't got it, you don't want it. Come on in, pussy lovers. Because he tries to tell them not to go inside... George Clooney and Tarantino end up beating the shit out of him. Yeah. And they convince the bartender who is played by... Danny Trejo. Mm-hmm. He always has some sort of knife-related name. And this one, his name is Razor Charlie. Ah. And they convince him that they can stay because the dad has a license to drive a truck because you need one to drive a It's absolutely camper. not true now. I don't know if it was true then... But it's 100% not true now. I mean, my dad drove a motorhome back then. He didn't need that license. You know, so maybe in Texas that's the case because it's definitely not the case in California. But yes, he does convince them that he has a uh, Class A license, which means he's a truck driver. And I think Danny Trejo would rather defuse this situation because it does look like if they push it any further, which they're willing to do, there will be lots of violence. <laughs> Meanwhile, we get to see our big cast here. We get to see Tom Savini. As Sex Machine. Yes. All right. Sex Machine. (laughs) uh, Who has a gun in his groin area. Which is actually from Desperado, which was obviously a Robert Rodriguez movie. In it, the main character has a guitar case full of weapons. It has like a false lid or whatever, and it's full of weapons. And one of the weapons that are in there is this crotch gun, (laughs) which theoretically could work, but he wouldn't be able to remotely control it the way he does. (laughs) We see Tom Savini and we also see Fred Williamson, who is a famous blaxploitation actor. He's been in a lot of movies with the N word in the title. And he's trying to do dominoes a lot. Yes, but he, well, he's like trying to build like a house of cards, but out of dominoes. And it keeps getting knocked over by various things, including strippers yes. or go-go dancers, I guess, in this case. And it's just, ah, oh, god damn it. So Tom Savini as Sex Machine is a biker. And Fred Williamson as Frost, whose name is never said in the entire movie, is a trucker. George Clooney convinces all of them to drink with him including both the kids and the father. So they are all drinking a bunch of shots. George Clooney got stopped by another person on their way in because they aren't truck drivers, etc. And the pastor was able to 
defuse the situation by explaining that he has that license, right? So sitting here drinking, Clooney is saying that he still wants to get back at that guy. And Harvey Keitel has a great line. He's just like, are you such a loser that you can't tell when you've won? Are you such a fucking loser? You can't tell when you've won. What'd you call me? Nothing. I didn't make a statement. I asked a question. Would you like me to ask it again? Mm -hmm. Are you such a loser? You can't tell when you've won? The entire state of Texas, along with the FBI, are looking for you. Did they find you? No, they couldn't. You've won. Enjoy it. Jacob? I want you to have a drink with me. I insist. This is when Danny Trejo comes out and gives a wonderful introduction yes. to the gorgeous Selma Hayek. Oh. Ah. <laughs> yes. Stunning Selma Hayek, uh, who is also in Desperado, uh, yeah. playing Santanico Pandemonium, which is it's based on an actual Mexican grindhouse film called Satanico Pandemonium. Uh, which obviously satanic, right? But no, he gets it wrong here. It's Santanico Pandemonium. And I guess Tarantino just saw that cover in the movie store that he worked at, <laughs> in the rental place where he worked at all the time, and he and he liked it, so he wanted to use that name. And I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he got it wrong here. She has an albino Burmese python around her neck. But yes, she comes out and she just gives an incredible dance where she chooses, of all people, Quentin Tarantino to focus on. And of course, what does she use? Her foot, her bare foot, which she shoves in his mouth and then pours the tequila down her leg into his mouth. And what did we get a close-up shot of in the RV on the way here? Juliette Lewis's bare feet. Yes. Because... Everyone is willing to entertain Tarantino's foot fetish. Yes. He's totally not shy about it. He never has been. When people talk about, oh my God, did you notice that he has in all these movies? Yeah, no. It was incredibly obvious even back then. <laughs> just, he has a whole thing with feet. And apparently Rodriguez was like, sure, I'll put it in. Because <laughs> he does stare at her feet a couple of times. We see it when he's not there. And then he's, the character is staring at her feet later, and yeah, so, just a lot of feet in this movie. <laughs> if you look at the script, the song that's supposed to be playing during Salma Hayek's dance is Down in Mexico by the Coasters. But, since the band they have playing is Tito and Tarantula, they play one of their songs, which is After Dark, instead. Tarantino did not forget it, and he ended up putting Down in Mexico by the Coasters as the lap dance scene in Death Proof, which we do not see because it was edited out. You can find it online if you want, but it's one of the missing reels in Grindhouse, used to great comic effect. We will talk about that when we get there. It's an incredible dance, and everyone's really fucking impressed, and she's still standing on the table. When? Who comes in? Cheech Marin and the other bouncer guy come in. Says, that's the guy that beat the shit out of me. <laughs> he broke my nose and he kicked me while I was down <laughs> and there's going to be a fight. Yes. They put a knife right through his hand. Oh, Richie's hand. hand. The hole in his hand. 
just exacerbating that wound even more. They don't, it's not like a moment where like it happens and he doesn't, oh God, I don't have anything there anyway. No, it hurts him. And this is when they will all start to turn into vampires. Yes, some of these transitions are better than others. Yes, I mean, they don't, I mean, they are vampires, but they look more like just monster-y things. And you know it's supposed to be silly because the band ends up changing, then all of a sudden the bass guitarist is playing a a human torso. It's supposed to be silly. You're not supposed to take this seriously. Yes. We see Sex Machine use his crotch gun. Uh Uh-huh. Also, he carries a whip, a mini whip, and a larger whip. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure Juliet Lewis, like, sticks her silver cross into one of their mouths. Cheech Marins. This is the one that I thought was actually a really cool death, where he just, he, he swallows it, and then he just, like, melts. And it actually looked really impressive. He's like a skeleton with all this stuff sloughing off of his face. It looked really good. And during all this chaos, Fred Williamson discovers that if you stake them, they will die. So how does he start staking people? Do you remember? Uh, he, he starts throwing them on upturned tables and chairs. Yes. To get them on the legs of those things. It's a genius idea. Oh, yeah. No, it's hilarious. Sex Machine is all acrobatic and running around and jumping. and He's a little slow because Tom Savini isn't exactly a spring chicken at this point. <laughs> It's a little slow, but I don't know. It's fun. It was fun. I think it's just, it's a lot of fun. Selma Hayek ends up finding George Clooney, and she gets him down. And what does she threaten to do to him? Make him her slave. I'm not going to drain you completely. You'll be my slave. Because I don't think you're worthy of human blood. You'll feed on the blood of stray dogs. You'll be my footstool. And at my command, you lick the dog shit from my boot heel. Since you'll be my dog, your new name will be Spot. Welcome to slavery. No thanks. I already had a wife. He says basically, no thanks, I've already been married, which is reportedly ad-libbed. Or he came up with it. I don't know if it was ad-lib, but he came up with it. Yeah, and that's when Selma Hayek dies. It's so funny, because when you think of this, you think of a couple of things, and yeah. Selma Hayek is definitely Selma one Hayek of them. Selma Hayek is like the queen of the vampires, and nope. No, not at all. Fred Williamson does a really cool thing, and he he pulls out the beating heart of one of them, realizes that he's still not dead, and then what does Sex Machine slay it with? A pencil. Stabs it through the still-beating heart, and the dude collapses and melts. It's very cool and fun. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Aren't they supposed to burn up or something when they're all dead? Uh Uh-huh. What happens? They all burst into flames with perfect comedic timing. Yes, and then they look up and they realize the band is still there, and they're like, let's kill the fucking band. And the band's like, good night, and then they disappear. Fuck you, good night! (laughs) Fuck you, everybody, good night! And George Clooney realizes that his brother has died. Yeah. And he's saying goodbye to him, and what happens? Brother changes. Yes. And at first, George Clooney doesn't want to kill him, but they tell him, don't be a fool. 
And he's like, okay, take him, pin him down. And George Clooney says, here is the piece in death that I couldn't give you in life. Yeah, and he stabs him with, like, I think a pool cue. They start to hear noises outside, and George Clooney, like, quietly says that they are... Bats. Yes. He's figured things out very quickly. Uh-huh. And he, he gives this whole speech about how, I don't care if you don't think that these are vampires or you don't believe in vampires. I don't believe in vampires either. But I do know what I saw with my own two eyes, and these are vampires. Does anybody know what's going on here? I know what's going on. We got a bunch of fucking vampires out there trying to get in here and suck our fucking blood. And that's it. Plain and simple. And I don't want to hear anything about, I don't believe in vampires. Because I don't fucking believe in vampires. What I believe in my own two eyes, and what I saw is fucking vampires. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? There's a fun sequence where Juliet Lewis, a vampire, is crawling towards her. Savini will kill the, the vampire, but then another vampire comes after him, and then Juliet Lewis saves Savini from that vampire, uh-huh. which is fun. He, he asks her what her name is, and she says, Kate, and what's yours? And he says, Sex Machine. Nice to meet you, Kate. Yes. <laughs> what's your name, Billy? Kate, what's yours? Sex Machine. Nice to meet you, Kate. But in all of this, what happens? Because they still have to kill off all the rest of them. Well. Because there's like a couple of stragglers. There's kind of an order to this, and it First, Sex Machine gets bitten. Yes, Sex Machine gets bitten. And he doesn't want to admit it, and he's got this panicked look in his eyes, which is very funny, but also sad, you know, because you like him in this. Yes, and he does not want to be a vampire. Uh, Um, But he does end up biting Frost, you know, kind of out of nowhere. He changes, and, and, uh, and he ends up biting Frost, and so they need to kill him. He ends up turning into this weird dog thing, which none of the others do, which, again, this is kind of just an expo for the effects company. Right. And they all, a lot of them are very different looking. Yeah. It's it's just a bunch of different monsterish looking things. He kind of looks like an R.O.U.S. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they kill him. And then Frost ends up changing the fastest of anyone in the movie. Like, almost immediately he changes. And... He signals all these bats to come breaking through the door and fly at them. Well, he does that on accident when he kills Tom Savini. And then when he turns, he's turned. Yeah. (laughs) uh But before all of that happens... Harvey Keitel gets thrown behind the bar? Well, no. Before all of that happens, (laughs) George Clooney turns to... Harvey Keitel, who he knows his whole backstory because George Clooney basically made him tell it yeah. via gunpoint. And he explains to him, you, like, at this point, we now know vampires are real. Yeah. And if vampires are real, then we know God's real. So you'd better get back to believing uh-huh. because we need you to bless this water. Uh-huh. We need your help. We need to kill these sons of bitches. Yeah, we need basically a soldier of God. That would be our strongest asset at this point. It's really funny, though, because he's just like, he, he makes him repeat something, but it has the word fucking in it. Yeah. I didn't, and, <laughs> the pastor won't say it, which I liked. I always said that God can kiss my ass, but I just changed my lifetime tune about 30 minutes ago. Because I know that whatever is out there trying to get in is pure evil straight from hell. And if there is a hell and those sons of bitches are from it, then there has got to be a heaven, Jacob. There's got to be. Are you a faithless preacher? Or are you a mean motherfucking servant of God? I'm a mean 
servant of God. And you forgot to tell when Sex Machine is changing, what is Williams doing? Oh, he's telling this story <laughs> about killing an entire squadron of Viet Cong <laughs> in Vietnam by himself and how he went like you know, into a fugue state and just killed everyone. Yes, Tarantino, I mean... And everyone's just, like, looking at him, like, oh, my God. Like, I guess this is a Rodriguez movie, but, I mean, you know... Tarantino wrote it. Yeah, and in Pulp Fiction, you know, Nam. He loves stories about Nam. (laughs) Savini will bite Williams, which we explained. Williams will change very, very quickly. But who does he also bite? Is it him that bites Keitel? Yes. Harvey Keitel gets also bitten, but he takes a lot longer to change. But when all these bats come in, they leave Keitel behind the bar, which is where he got thrown, and they go into this side hallway into this room where all these boxes from all the truckers that they killed were were kept, this cache of, of items. And Kate's freaking out about my dad. Seth is like, your dad's dead. Yes. You're going to have to deal with that. But he's not. No, we come back to him and he's behind the bar. He's wrapping up his wound and all of these vampires are walking around inspecting the place. And he grabs a baseball bat and a shotgun. Yeah. And is it possible to get a baseball bat through a shotgun thing? If you look closely at the bat, it's not a complete bat and the end is kind of like almost filed down a little bit. It's not to a point, but you can tell that at the bottom of a baseball bat where the grip is, I can't remember what that part's called. It bulges out at the end. That would prevent it from going in there. But you can tell this one's kind of like carved down a little bit. Okay. And it's a very particular shotgun. It has like a trigger guard, but around the the, the grip on the forearm, you know, where you actually cock the shotgun, which is weird. I don't know. I'm sure there are models that are out there that are like that, but uh, that allows him to put the bat through the shotgun, and now he has a cross. They talked earlier about how anything could be a cross. Scott came up with that. We have mm-hmm. all this wood. We can make as many crosses as we want. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun sequence of him using the bat as a cross and using the bat to cock the shotgun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. But when he does shoot them, this is one of the few things that I did note down. Wow, it's really obvious that he's not actually hitting them at all. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, it was bad. Like, they would fly back, and it was like, nothing mm-hmm. hits you. This movie cost, I think, like $15 million to make, which is a lot. It, it It's too much to be an independent movie, but not enough to be, like, a big blockbuster or anything like that. They just made this movie for fun. And it's a lot of fun, and that's okay. But so he comes up and he gets them to open the door, and he's like, all right, we've got to start making our own weapons. So what are the, some of the things that they come up with? Condoms. Filled with holy water uh, that they're going to use to splash holy water at them. A super soaker also filled with holy water. Jacob Keitel ends up putting crosses on all of his bullets. Oh, God. Okay, so this is silly, but Seth gets a jackhammer. And instead of just using a jack, like a jackhammer generally, there are multiple tips that you can put on a jackhammer. He removes whatever tip was on there and puts this perfectly sized stump inside that's filed to a point like it's a giant stake. And now he has like a jackhammer stake. And it, it's probably heavier and less wieldy than the back and forth motion of the jackhammer actually provides a benefit for. So like <laughs> you could have just used the stake and it would have been a lot better. But whatever. What does Juliet Lewis have? 
I don't remember. She has a crossbow, but I don't know why that would work. Oh, yeah. Well, because it's get him in the heart. So before they go out to defeat all of them, what does Harvey Keitel make them promise? He knows he's going to change. He is already dead, he says. He's like, I can't kill you. I'm already dead. You wouldn't be killing me. That's what he makes him promise is if I start to change, I'm going to help you. And if I start to change, you need to kill me. And when they start to say, no, they're not going to, he puts the gun to his head and starts to count down for them. For Juliet Lewis first, I'm going to count to five and I'm going to shoot myself. Well, they first say they will do it, but he's like, I don't believe believe you. you. Yeah. And then when he gets to Scott, he's like, you know what? I'm going to count to three for you. They end up promising that they'll do it. So they say they will kill him when they when he changes and they come out. All right, vampire killers, let's kill some vampires. That's this thing that Seth has. He does it three times. Lawrence Tierney, who we talked about recently in Silver Bullet, was in Reservoir Dogs. He has a line that's, all right, ramblers, let's get rambling. All right, ramblers, let's get rambling. Seth says that when they're going to get into the motorhome. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. And when they go into the bar, he says, all right, drinkers, let's get drinking. Okay, hard drinkers, let's drink hard, I'm fine. It was his thing. So that's what he says to get them all jazzed up as they're going out to kill vampires. (laughs) Okay, vampire killers. Let's kill some fucking vampires. So they go out and they're in this long hallway. So at first it's easy to get out with just the cross. They can just push them back. Because yeah. they've got the cross, and if they stay there, they'll get hit with it. So they have to move out. But once they move into the bar area, it's this much bigger, wider, open area. So that's when they have to start. And they both just stand there for a while. And the point that we thought of is like, well, couldn't they have just waited it out with the cross? But I think they needed like a true faith believer to do that. And and Harvey Keitel was going to change soon. Yeah. Is I think what the assumption is supposed to be. Yeah, maybe. But So they stand there and they stare at each other for a little bit while. And then George Clooney yells out, kill them all. And the kid throws his first water balloon and the fight is on. They start staking them and all this stuff. But Sex Machine shows up and they end up staking him through the heart or... Or they get him in the head. Oh, they split open his head. Yeah. And then what comes out? This rat creature. Yeah, which is what we talked about earlier. Bizarre. Uh-huh. What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't matter. It's just a showcase. But then the dad changes. The kid hesitates. And he gets grabbed, unfortunately, because he has to. He still manages to kill him. Yeah. Uh, which is his promise that he made, but he ends up dying in the process. Juliet Lewis needs to kill him to put him out of his misery. Right, he doesn't die. They're they're eating him, and he says, "Kill me, Kate." Yeah, uh huh. Which is a reference. Kiss to me, kiss Kate. Me Kate. Yeah, and she does. Uh, but I wrote down, "Ooh, that was real bad too." In that moment, when she shoots him. They, like, all explode for no good reason. Uh-huh. But it's really bad because when she, when she does it, there's, like, a cut. And when they cut back, everyone there is a dummy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's so Like obvious. I said, some of the effects are kind of cheap and not so great. Yeah. But Juliet Lewis and George Clooney realize that it's the last. It's just the two of them. Mm-hmm. And all they've got left is, like, a gun with very few bullets. And she says, should I keep the last few bullets for ourselves? And he's like, no, we're going to fucking kill as many of them as we can. Yeah. And then the sun comes up. Yeah, and one of them gets hurt. And so they start shooting holes in the outside. But they don't have a lot of bullets left. Uh-huh. 
So then Carlos shows up. <laughs> hey, I'm looking for my buddy, Sid. It's Cheech again. <laughs> and they like, knock down the door. And he does. And lets all this light come flooding in. And then everyone gets They all burned explode. Up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's great. There's a disco ball in there. And it Yeah, there's that moment. The, the disco ball moment is kind of cute. Something you might see in Blade. It's a lot of fun. And they come out. And Cheech has seen all this. So have his men. And both Juliette Lewis and George Clooney come out, and they're really upset. And George Clooney's like, what the fuck? How did you hear about this place? Why did we meet here? He's like, I don't know. I just always saw it on the side of the road. It looks like it was a cool place. And he's like, well, my brother's dead. Her whole family is dead. And Carlos is like, was it a bunch of psychos? Yeah, well, what were they? A bunch of psychos? Clooney's like, did they look like psychos? <laughs> Do psychos explode in sunlight? <laughs> no, they were fucking vampires. Uh-huh. And he tries to talk him down because here's the thing. They robbed a bank so that they could give 15%, I mean, 30, 30%, yeah. 30% of that to Carlos to stay in El Rey, which will end up a person later in this series. Yes. Also, I, I was going to mention this a little bit later, but El Rey is the name of Robert Rodriguez's television network. <laughs> it just means the king is all it means. But he ends up going all the way back up to 20%. Yeah, they haggle their way here at this point. Or yeah, 25%. I mean, I, yeah, because they're like 20%. And then they both say 25 at the same time. You know? Yes. Juliette Lewis asks him if if she he'd like some company, and he's like, you don't know what El Rey is, go home. And he gives her a lot of money. Yeah, he's like, I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. You need some company? Do you know where I'm going? Do you know what El Rey is? No. Go home, Kate. I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. But as they drive away... The camera pans out, and what do we see? We see that it's actually like this Aztec pyramid. Uh, and then we see all the broken down motorcycles and trucks and everything like that uh, that was left behind. Yes. So that's the movie, Lightning Round, Kelsey. I love when, before William starts his story about Nam, somebody says, I can't take it. And he goes, you'll take it because you gotta. Yeah. <laughs> And right before he dies, he says, to this day, I don't remember. And then Savini bites him. Yeah. You don't get to find out what he doesn't remember. As expected, a lot of the patrons of the bar and the vampires themselves are members of the film crew, the makeup guys and all that sort of thing. It should be noted that this movie was made with a non-union production crew. And so that's like, it's very controversial in that way. It's one of the reasons why they could keep it as low as $15 million. But if it's a production that costs as high as $15 million, it's very unusual for it to be non-union. And that kind of fucking sucks. From Dust Till Dawn was followed by two direct-to-video sequels. From Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money. And From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. And then the television series, which, like I said, Robert Rodriguez uh, launched a television network where they launched a TV series for From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> Anything else? Nope. All right, then, Kelsey, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 83? 63. What? A pulpy crime drama slash vampire film hybrid from Dusk Till Dawn is an uneven but often deliriously enjoyable B-movie. I would say that that description is incredibly apt. But 
the fact that 37% of reviewers didn't like it seems like they might have their heads up their asses. Yeah. You know, oh, this is beneath me. Yes. Is what it might be. I don't know. I didn't read all the individual reviews, so I don't know. Uh, Metacritic of 48. So, like, straight down Main Street there. Uh, But a cinema score of a B minus. Okay. Do you think it is overrated or underrated? I think we have our answer. Extremely underrated. What would you give it? I was going to give it an 86. I think this movie, for all its faults, a lot of the cracks that show are made up for by... It's just fun. It's so much fun. It's a good time to watch. And it's quick. So even in moments of like, oh, that was bad or oh, that was horrible, you know, like uncomfortable, they move through it quickly and they move quickly to the next part that's fun. Yes. You know, and yes, there's a lot of gore and yes, the gore is silly, but that makes it more stomachable. Yeah. You know, instead of like, oh, now we just get to sit here and watch all this gore. <laughs> I would, it makes it fun. It's splatter. Yeah. It's it's moving. The, the fight is not ever like stagnant. You know, I don't really enjoy when I just watch two people just fighting, fighting, fighting for an hour. That's not fun. Here, there's lots of different things happening at once. Mm-hmm. And it's an enjoyable experience. I would give it an 80 for that reason. I think maybe 86 is probably too high for me, but for the same exact reasons you gave it an 86, that's why I would give it an 80. I I really like this movie. I like it a lot. I think it's such a surprise to me that I like this movie so much that I give it such a high score. That that sounds about right, because I am surprised how much you like this movie. It's not exactly in your normal wheelhouse. No, but I love Tarantino. (laughs) He did some meh work in the middle 2000s, but we don't talk about that time. Really? Oh, yeah. We don't talk about that time? You mean Grindhouse? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not, like, a huge fan of Death Proof. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Before we get to that movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. What substance was used to ink the pages of the Necronomicon? Blood. Human blood, to be precise. That is correct. All right, Kelsey. There's actually one and a half answers to this question. I will give you credit for either one of them. Of the fake trailers in Grindhouse, one of them was made into a real movie. Can you name that movie? Machete. There is also a point five here. Can you name that movie? There's a second movie that got put into, made into a film? Yes, based off... A fake trailer from Grindhouse. I'm trying to remember what the other ones were. There's yeah, don't. That's, that's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. Why? Because this trailer wasn't shown in most theaters. It's mainly shown in Canada. So we didn't see it in our version. Then how would I know the answer? Just knowing about movies. I have no idea. Uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. Would have never. The Rudger Hauer movie is started as a fake trailer from Grindhouse, which was shown primarily in Canada. I, that's why I, I said 0.5. It, it, really, the answer I was looking for was Machete, and you got that correct, yes. All right, Kelsey, that brings us right into Grindhouse, written by... <laughs> I guess we're going to have to break this down. Let's explain. We are doing the entirety of Grindhouse. If you didn't listen to our last episode where we talked about what we were doing this week, we are watching the entirety of Grindhouse because we do feel like it is 
intended to be experienced as the whole double feature with all the trailers and everything. That is the movie, and you can't really take them apart without losing something. They are standalone films, and you can watch them that way. As a matter of fact, that's the only way you can stream them. <laughs> They're literally not available as Grindhouse to stream anywhere, regardless of how much money you want to pay. You either need to get it on Blu-ray or DVD, or watch it on YouTube like we did, because <laughs> apparently the whole fucking thing is on YouTube. <laughs> and it's the theatrical version that we watched on YouTube. I can't believe it. It's been on there for over a year, too, which is the crazy thing. Like, how full nudity, full light, like everything, not censored a bit. <laughs> anyway, so we are watching all of it, and we're going to talk through it in its entirety. So we have, in order, Machete, which was written by Robert Rodriguez and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Just the trailer. Planet Terror which was written and directed by Robert Rodriguez. We have Werewolf Women of the SS, which was written and directed by Rob Zombie. No shit. Never would have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, which was written and directed by Edgar Wright, <laughs> which, I, big surprise, my favorite of the fake trailers was Edgar Wright. <laughs> Thanksgiving, which was written and directed by Eli Roth. And Which, Death Proof. I was like, have you never seen Home Sweet Home, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> really, it's a play on Halloween, very obviously. It's what if Halloween but Thanksgiving. And Death Proof, which was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Starring, oh boy. Okay, here we go. Kurt Russell, Zoe Bell as herself. Rosario Dawson, Vanessa Ferlito. Uh, Sidney Poitier, but not that Sidney Poitier, his daughter, Sidney Poitier, <laughs> Tracy Toms, Rose McGowan, Jordan Ladd, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Quentin Tarantino, Eli Roth, Michael Parks, and James Parks, Freddie Rodriguez, Josh Brolin, Rebel Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez's son, Bruce fucking Willis. Fergie, Tom Savini again. <laughs> Fucking everyone is in this movie. Yes. It's insane. Yes. What is Grindhouse about? Well, I didn't know that Grindhouse was an actual name that they had. I just knew that, you know, there were drive-ins and places where you went to see double features in movie theaters that would play multiple movies. And they were usually B-movie schlock horror Exploitation action. films. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Yes, and there was a lot of that, especially in, like, the 70s. The 70s was a really heavy time for Yeah, it's it like the 60s and the 70s, but it's primarily known for being the 70s, yeah. Yeah, and this is definitely an homage to that. And if you've never seen that, then think of lots of expletives, lots of blood, like, way over-the-top blood. Everything's over-the-top. Lots, yes, lots and lots of... Big action moments, gunfire, explosions, car chases, you know, all that stuff is is rammed in there along with sex. Mm -hmm. Very particular visual style. Hot women. Yeah. Um, and so I'll just give you really quickly what the two main plots here are. Planet Terror is about a group of people that band together against zombies, very similar to From Dusk Till Dawn, a group of people band together against vampires. Mm -hmm. It's just that instead of being stuck in a bar, they're in a town this time. Mm -hmm. And Death Proof is a gearhead 
movie. It's about a group of girls. I always forget. It's actually about two groups of girls uh-huh. and their encounters with a psychopath who is a stuntman for movies. Yes. You can tell that Tarantino has a thing for the 70s. He always has, but also stuntmen because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is about, you know, a stuntman. Listen, like, if you don't understand yeah. <laughs> who Tarantino is, that's, we're not here to give you a lesson yeah, on him. We're a horror movie podcast. This isn't like you're not going to get a film school education about Tarantino or anything. Yeah, he, he rarely even enters into the realm of horror. We are, especially me, I am an enormous fan. That does not necessarily mean that I think that everything he does is great. Uh, certain things, like I said, I like a lot more than I like than other things. Mm-hmm. I don't know the guy from from what I've seen in interviews. He seems nice from what I've seen with other Tarantino? people. Yeah. He's a total jackass. Okay. He is 100% a jackass. Yeah. So, like, look, I'm not here to judge him as a person. I like his movies, but I don't think we'll ever talk about him probably ever again. I'm trying to think. I don't think he has anything else that we would talk about. I mean, Robert Rodriguez does. Yes. Robert Rodriguez directed The Faculty, and The Faculty is definitely on our list. I did not know that Rodriguez did that. Yeah, actually, he came up with the idea for Planet Terror. According to, I think, Elijah Wood and Josh Hartnett, maybe, he was talking to them about this idea for a zombie movie, and he's like, zombie movies are coming back in a really big way, just you wait, and I want to have mine ready. And he made like 30 pages worth of a script, and he never finished it. And then, sure enough, zombie movies came back in a major way, and he's like, fuck, I missed it. And then now he had the second opportunity with Grindhouse, with Tarantino, and he's like, okay, I get to make that movie now. I absolutely love the faculty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> But yes, that is a Robert Rodriguez movie when he was trying his hand at making it into Hollywood proper, you know, and then kind of fuck that at this point, except for Spy Kids got really popular. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez makes fun movies. Yes, he does. And, the, and all of them have a hint of silliness, but they're all so much fun that you don't care. Yeah. He's a very talented guy, I would say. Although, that being said... I wasn't a fan of Desperado, but I don't like action. I yeah, don't no. Like westerns. I mean, back back then, I was like the perfect age for that. I was a young teenager, or God, when Desperado came out, I probably was like ten. But no, that was totally my wheelhouse. And then I went back and watched El Mariachi, which is what it's based on. And yeah, it's love all that shit. I even love the movie nobody fucking talks about. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Movie sucks. <laughs> Fucking love that. That that moment when Johnny Depp is blind and it's like, yeah. So I like the I like these movies and I always have. Uh, but, you know, Tarantino, he's every kid that thinks he knows everything about movies and that his opinion superior to everyone else's. Oh, absolutely. I totally admit the fact that when I was younger, I felt very cool for knowing yes. All of the Tarantino And movies. how those kids felt is exactly how Tarantino felt. <laughs> he was a kid growing up with all of his knowledge of all this stuff that, you know, he's he was the hipster of cinema, basically. <laughs> except he managed to write entertaining stuff and then direct entertaining stuff. And, you know, now he gets a lot of money to make these whatever he wants to make. And people let him. But it doesn't mean he's not kind of insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, anyway. Samuel L. Jackson likes him. He's got to be kind of cool. <laughs> sure, I guess. I guess. <laughs> like I said before, the movie is not streaming anywhere, but it is somehow on YouTube. <laughs> Just search for Grindhouse and you will find it. It's th- like three hours and 11 minutes long. And it's just up there. I, uh, okay. So you can watch it there if you want, or if you happen to have it on DVD or Blu-ray, you can watch it there as well. There's a lot of extra behind-the-scenes footage. Some of the missing real footage you can get, I think, on the Blu-ray. Like the lap dance, you can see that that I mentioned earlier. If people can get their hands on it, or they decide to watch it on YouTube, should people watch Grindhouse? I would watch all the way up until Death Proof starts. I like Death Proof. It ends abruptly. I don't care about that. But I like it. There are frustrating parts about it. Kurt Russell is incredible in that movie. I'm not saying it isn't good. It's it's boring. Yeah. Which is, by contrast, Planet Terror fits so much in it. I mean, if you want to watch along with us and you're not interested in Death Proof, you can just watch Planet Terror on its own. That's the companion piece, really, to From Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. But I would watch the whole thing. I yeah, We I mean, did. We watched it all in one Death night. Death Proof is good. So, I mean, I would say see it. On its own, it does not stand up there with the rest of Tarantino's oeuvre. Right. No. Not at all. But... But yeah, that's not I'd, the point. It. It's there to recreate a certain time. And it is, again, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2007's Grindhouse. From the directors of Reservoir Dogs, Desperado, Pulp Fiction, From Dusk Till Dawn, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Kill Bill, and Sin City, Tarantino and Rodriguez are back. Only this time, they're back to back with a double feature that'll tear you in two. First, I got bit. Bit by what? If I told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. Robert Rodriguez, Planet Terror. Made you something. Open that door, will you, baby? Plus, fair lady, your chariot awaits. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Do I frighten you? Is it my scar? It's your car. Two no-holds-barred feature-length motion pictures for the price of one. Planet Terror and Death Proof. Only at the Grindhouse. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? What do we see first in Grindhouse? We start with a preview for Machete with Danny Trejo as the main actor, which, of course, we all know got turned into an actual film. Two actual films. I gotta see. Machete and Machete Kills. Okay. There are bare breasts in the trailer. Yes. You might might think, come on, they're not going to put nudity in a trailer. Not now they wouldn't. But even still, you got the Red Band trailers that put shit like that in it all the time. But before the MPAA had control over all that stuff, and especially in theaters that showed 
sleazy stuff, the trailers would be sleazy too. One of the actual movie trailers we talk about a little later in this episode has tons of nudity in it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. But he's an assassin who's been wronged, cheeches in in there. I've never seen the Machete film, so I have no idea if this trailer is actually faithful to the movie or not. No idea. I've never seen it either. He gets the women. (laughs) You know, like, Uh they've got a lot of that. It's a very typical trailer from that era. They just fucked with the wrong Mexican. Uh It's a very fun little trailer, and it says Rated X. Yeah, Rated X. Uh, Brought to you by your friends at the Weinstein Company. Yeesh. Especially when the next person we see is Rose McGowan. Famous, famous, famously outspoken opponent to Harvey Weinstein and one of the people that worked the absolute hardest to get him under scrutiny. Really? Yeah. As a matter of fact, according to Robert Rodriguez, Rose McGowan had told him privately of what she would later accuse him of publicly. In 2017, she filed suit against him for something that happened 20 years prior to that, 10 years prior to this, right after Scream, he opposed, he allegedly sexually assaulted her, and they settled for $100,000. He offered her an extra million dollars to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and she refused. But this was in 2017. In 2007, when this movie was made, nobody really knew about that. It's kind of an open secret that Harvey Weinstein was a creep. But, you know, she would tell people privately what he did to her, but it was, wasn't like a public thing. And so Robert Rodriguez cast her specifically just to, just to fuck with Harvey Weinstein because this movie is made by Dimension Films, which is owned by the Weinstein brothers and run by Bob Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein's brother, who at the time allegedly knew nothing about any of this. And since Harvey Weinstein was running around trying to, like, blacklist all the women that could say bad things about him, Rodriguez knew that he couldn't say anything about her to his brother because his brother supposedly didn't know about any of this. And the only way he could he could convince him would be have to admit what he did. And so it was like this whole scheme to, you know, support Rose McGowan and fuck over Harvey Weinstein. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Hmm. So, yes, then we get into Planet Terror, brought to you by R.I.P. Rodriguez International uh-huh. Productions. Which may or may not be real. I don't actually know. <laughs> it's a fun one if it's yeah, real. Yeah, uh-huh. Rose McGowan plays a go-go dancer. Which... What do you know Rose McGowan from? Like, if you were, to, if someone says Rose McGowan, what do you think of? Do you think of Jawbreaker? Jawbreaker. Okay, that's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, Scream is another big one. Um, I but you don't really that think that's about her. her. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I think of Encino Man. And probably most particularly, Doom Generation. Bob, who we had on the show, exposed me to Doom Generation. He was also a big part of me getting exposed to movies like Tarantino's movies and all the movies that he bases all this stuff on. So if you listen to our Christine episode, you can meet Bob. But yeah, he was a big influence on my cinematic journey growing up. But yeah, Doom Generation she was in. Never seen it. It's something else, let me tell you. I also think of her as having dated... Marilyn Manson and wearing the dress that yeah, shows Yeah, the all. famous dress. Obviously charmed. Didn't watch the show. But I had mean, no idea she was on it. I think a lot of people that know Rose McGowan now probably know her most from Charmed. Job like that's right where there. she got the most 
screen time and the most percentage of the zeitgeist, I guess. But yeah, I forget that she's in screen, which is weird because she's a main character. Yep. I, I forget that that's Rose McGowan more than I forget that she's in it because that's not the Rose McGowan I know. Right, yeah. This is the Rose McGowan I know. <laughs> so she plays a go-go dancer, which she will tell you later is different from being a stripper. Uh-huh. She does an incredibly sexy dance. She's a very hot woman. But then she cries at the end of her dance. Yeah. She makes everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> yep. And her boss is like, you can't do that shit on stage. And she's like, it doesn't matter. I quit. And he's like, you say that every week. Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. As she's walking home, she almost gets run over by military trucks. Who are headed to meet up with... Naveen Andrews from Lost. He loves to cut off people's balls who... uh, He has a specialized knife just for it. Yes. (laughs) And... That'll keep getting brought up, even though it's totally pointless. It's not totally pointless. Apparently, it has something to do with the the cure. Okay. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> he, he keeps them for a reason. Listen, the plot of this movie isn't that important. There's a government conspiracy involving Headed by this, Bruce Willis, yeah, who will Bruce show Willis. up. And he wants the... I don't even know what it is. It's the gas that they need to inhale to keep from changing. Okay, you want to explain that whole thing? Because I never really. Yeah, just I, I, you know, I've like I said, I'd never seen this movie before, and I'm just I just watched it for the first time this way, and it has something to do with some people it gives special powers to, but you got to keep taking it. And other people, it turns them into zombies right away. And you have to control. How much you get and yeah. how often you get it. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it can give you special powers. Yeah, we, we, we find out later that this was called Project Terror, uh, which was originally supposed to be what this movie was called. And they changed it to Planet Terror for some reason. Why? I don't know. Maybe Project Terror just felt too sci-fi-y. Bruce Willis is always shot in Solo. Always from directly in front of him. And this is kind of a reference to, you know, aging stars that get thrown into these grindhouse movies show up for a day of shooting. And then the rest is coverage of stand-ins and stuff like that. And they would act as like big name draws for, you know, they'd be on the poster. Their name would be on the poster and they'd be in like five minutes of the fucking movie. But the thing is, is I had no idea he was in this movie. (laughs) So it wasn't, they weren't using the same tactic. They're just supposed to try to replicate that feeling from Grindhouse films. Well, and and they have friends that they go back to, you know, over and over again. But so Bruce Willis kills him or thinks he kills him. Yeah, he shoots him, but the dude survives and they end up taking him captive. And the dude ends up releasing more of the gas, which we see Changes people for the first time. Oh, right. He (laughs) He shoots it. Because they're like, we want it. And and since they're going to kill him, he shoots it. And he's like, fine, you don't get it. But Uh that releases it onto everybody, which makes everybody turn into these zombie-like creatures. Yeah. I got you by the balls, Abby. You certainly have. So, I'll ask you one more time. Where's... The shit everywhere. 
whether they're the super soldiers who are supposed to be taking this stuff or not. Or there's the people who are not... Oh, are part of the other gang or whatever and... But are there are also the people who are immune to it, just like in The Stand. Yeah. The camera is too good in this movie. I think Death Proof does it better, but everything looks a little too clean. The visual noise is good, but there doesn't seem to be maybe enough of it. Some shots... The ones that are in, like, low lighting or have stark shadows look really good. I love the way the blacks look in this movie, and I mean the color black. It's it's very impressive, but when, you know, just your average everyday shots, like when they're in the hospital and stuff like that, it just feels like a movie with a filter on it. Interestingly, though, the visual noise was done analog. Like, they actually scratched up film to get that effect. It wasn't just digitally inserted later. There's a company who worked on a lot of the visual effects called The Orphanage, who who did a lot of the visual effects for this movie. There are three different people who are credited for roles related to film damage, whose only role was to just make the, the whole movie look fucked with. And you don't think they did a good job of it? Well, I no, I think this is more Rodriguez, actually. I, I think it's the way he filmed and who um the lighting and stuff like that, and less about the film damage. The camera that they use is a little bit too high def. I'm gonna have to disagree with Chris here. I think that they've done a great job with making it feel very authentic. Remember, I'm talking specifically about Planet Terror here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it feels very authentic. Is it a cleaned up version? Sure, but you want to make sure that your audience is actually getting the most out of your movie. Right, but I think Tarantino did a better job of mimicking the the shitty focus on a lot of these movies, the weird and wild camera movements, better than Rodriguez did here. Hmm. Which is, I mean, I, this isn't me putting down Rod. I, I think he did a fantastic job, but I think when when put up against Death Proof, Death Proof does a much better job of mimicking that feel for me. It feels much more like a movie that was actually made in the seventies. We see Fergie for all of two seconds. Yep, just a hot chick on her way to meet her lesbian lover, but then she dies. Lesbian lover, huh? I thought it was her sister or friend or something. I didn't get the whole lesbian subplot. I just knew she was going to be picking up the kids, and then Dr. Block, the, the wife, was going to meet her because she was leaving her husband. I had I didn't pick up on anything about lesbian. You missed anything. a lot. Like, there's a lot. Like, he, he gets... We don't actually see anything. We get partial glances of text messages, and that is it. She says, hurry, baby, I think he knows in a text message. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Okay. I say I didn't see that. You see him for like two frames. He also, when he's accosting her, says, I thought she, I thought you weren't seeing her anymore. I thought she was out of town. I thought you had stopped talking to her. Yeah, I thought that was her sister or something like that. Did you know she was back in town? No. I didn't. What happened to her? I don't know, baby. I thought you stopped seeing each other. We have. Well, yes, you have now. She's fucking dead. I mean, we, we stopped before. I haven't talked to her in a while. 
we've written each other. Here and there. Doing? I'm just oblivious, that's all. When she gets on the back of the bike with Rose McGowan, Rose McGowan says, I'm Cherry, and she goes, you sure are. Yeah, I got it. Okay, all right. I knew that was the case, but I think that was saying more about Rose McGowan than it was about Marley Shelton. Dakota is her name, Dr. Dakota Block. I think they just call her Dr. Block through the whole fucking thing, mm -hmm. even though there's two Dr. Blocks. <laughs> and what do we know her from? She was in, uh God... Which scream was it? Three, four, never been kissed. Uptown Girls. Did you ever watch Uptown Girls? Nope. The Lottery, W, Fifth Patient, Death Proof, Grindhouse. What was she in that they would have... Sin City. She was in Sin City, which was directed by Robert Rodriguez. The Customer is her character name. She get, she gets killed at the very beginning by Josh Hartnett. She's wearing a red dress and has red lipstick on. But that is not what I know her from. I don't know. It's something about her eyes, which are the iconic feature of her. Bubble Boy. Bubble Boy. I hate that movie. Pleasantville. I've only seen parts of it. Pleasantville. That. That is it. That's what I know her from. I've seen Bubble Boy, but I hated it. So that's not what it is. It's It's... Definitely Pleasantville. Or she's Wendy in The Sandlot. Ha! That's hilarious. I never would have known that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> okay, so Fergie gets killed by the monsters. Yes. So she never makes it to her girlfriend. Josh Brolin plays her husband who knows about the affair. And he is pretty much an evil psychopath. Can we just say that, okay, their kid is Robert Rodriguez's actual kid, and he sings this song before we ever see him on screen. He's playing with his toys, and he sings this song, I'm going to eat your brains and take your knowledge. <laughs> I'm going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. Yes. It's so fucking adorable. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Very cute. But yeah, he, Josh Brolin. He is... A bad father, apparently, and husband. We don't know exactly what he does prior to this point, but we do know that she wants to get out, and she feels like this is dangerous. Yes. She knows that he's going to kill her apparently, if he finds out. This is pretty good, but apparently this is the reason why Josh Brolin got the role in No Country for Old Men, because allegedly the Coen brothers wouldn't let him audition, and... So he asked Robert Rodriguez to help him film an audition tape that he could get to them. And then, like, a bunch of different people got involved in it. Rodriguez and Tarantino. Since Tarantino and Rodriguez were together for the whole entire thing, if you listen to, to different people, including Marley Shelton, say that they effectively directed together. And one of the things Tarantino says is that he trusts Robert Rodriguez implicitly. And that's the great thing about working with them. They really trust each other's decisions. So they know they can just like, hey, you know what? If you want to give direction to an actor or whatever, like there was never a conflict there. But apparently the two of them directed like a little audition tape for Josh Brolin. They used the expensive cameras that like a million dollar cameras that they used on this movie. And... Marley Shelton read lines with him, and then they ended up sending that tape to the Coens, and that's how he got cast in No Country for Old Men. Why wouldn't they let him 
audition. No idea. That's what I'm saying. That's why I say allegedly. Because I don't know if that's actually the case. It might just be that he wasn't available when they needed him to be available or something like that. And so this is what he did instead. They're like, oh, just make us a tape. And so he did. And this is the tape he made. I don't know how much Joel and Ethan Cohen actually said no or anything. <laughs> so meanwhile, Rose McGowan is sitting in a barbecue restaurant. Yes. Best barbecue in Texas. <laughs> we hear that repeatedly. <laughs> yes. And we'll hear that from a man smoking apple cigarettes, which uh-huh. are Tarantino's. Red apple cigarettes. Yeah. Yes. And she is sitting in there and in walks her ex, El Ray. El Ray, which if you listen to the first part of this episode, is where Seth was trying to get Do you know what El Ray is? The king. Do you know where I'm going? I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is played by Freddie Rodriguez, who... I don't know from Ugly Betty, but apparently a lot of people would. He was in Lady in Water. If I remember correctly, he's the guy with the one muscular arm. I think so. But what I know him from is... Six Feet Under. Yes, Six Feet Under. And he's Uh, great in that. He's also... I I think of I Can't Hardly Wait. I I I never would have known that was the same person. (laughs) Never would have known. He's also in The Pest. (laughs) <laughs> Which I used to watch a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> I say a kid, I don't know, I was probably like 13 or something. We find out that they used to be together, and that she left him because she felt that it was the only way she could become a doctor. Well, she didn't become a doctor, she uh-huh. became a stripper. And she stole his jacket, he was looking for it for two weeks. Yes. <laughs> That's my jacket. I looked for it for two weeks. Yeah, how long did you look for me, right? Well, the jacket belonged to me. You didn't. And she says, I've changed my mind, though. I'm now going to be a stand-up comedian. He's like, why? You're not funny. And she's like, this is what I keep telling people, but everybody says I'm fucking hilarious. (laughs) And I don't know where this, like, stand-up comedian thing comes from. She does tell, like, corny jokes. Uh But she only tells, like, two of them. Uh It's odd. But he's going to give her a ride, so... They're going to go spend time together. Meanwhile, Josh Brolin, who, remember, is a, an insane person, but he is a doctor, is starting to get more and more cases of these people with these postules. Pustules. Pustules. Uh, and they're big, and they move, and they're gross they looking. Squirt. One squirts on his eye. It reminded oh, me a it's lot. so gross. <laughs> yeah, it's very gross. It reminded me a lot of Slither. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And there's this weird interaction where, like, this guy's like, what's my temperature? And they're like, oh, 105. And he's like, is that bad? And they're like, well, at 108, you could die. And, he, and like, it's yeah. it's really weird. And Brolin isn't using, like, hardly any protective gear. And when no. he's, he touches one, it bursts and it gets all over him. Uh-huh. It's very gross. And he keeps a thermometer in, like a glass thermometer in his mouth? Yes. Or a glass stir something? It's supposed to be a glass thermometer, and he keeps it in his mouth so that you know that, so he knows to remember to keep his cool, because yeah. if it breaks, he's lost his cool. Yeah. Which will happen. And he sends for his wife, who I guess is the anesthesiologist, but she doesn't do it the way that people are supposed uh-huh. to do it. She does it through three syringes, which will become important later. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, oh, we got to amputate your arm, which we all know that's not the way that things go. Well, the point is it has to be fast. Yes. Because it's spreading fast. El Ray and Cherry get into a truck accident. 
Yes, because as they're driving, they see a group of people dragging something off the side of the road. And Which is, I think that is Fergie, right? Probably. Yeah. And they're like, what was that? And he's like, yeah, it's probably just guys dragging roadkill. It's like, well, it was big. It's probably a deer. There's deer all over the place uh-huh. and people will eat roadkill. Uh-huh. 70% of venison is roadkill or whatever it is, he says. Yeah, and... She's like, that's terrible, but he explains it's either you or the deer, basically. Yeah, because if you swerve, you're probably going to die. And if you don't, it dies. Like, so don't swerve. But then something runs across the road, and what does he do? He swerves, and she gets mad at him for it after the trash. (laughs) Yes, they get into a car accident where the car, like, topples a couple times, and they land upside down. And she says, I thought you said if you saw a deer, you shouldn't fucking swerve. That wasn't a deer. Uh-huh. And as they're sitting there, a group of people come and they take Rose McGowan out of the car. And then they rip off her leg. Yeah, they just rip it off. And there's no real explanation. They're basically zombies. Yeah. And of course, he's El Rey, which you don't know what that means yet, but it means he's a badass. Yeah. And he's able to kill all these these zombies. Technically, we never find out exactly why he's so special because right. it's part of the missing reel. Yes. <laughs> Which is mwah, mwah, chef's kiss. Just <laughs> It's a lot of fun. But at this point, Tom Savini and Michael Bean show up. All I have written down for that is just Tom Savini, Michael Bean. <laughs> That's all I wrote too. I was like, Tom Savini, Michael Bean. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, but she ends up going to the hospital, and he ends up getting arrested for some reason. They don't like him. They don't think they can trust him. They think that he's the reason he, like, took off her leg or something. They think that he did it. That's what it is, yeah. Uh, And and even though Michael Bean is starting to notice that there are a lot of crazy-ass sick people Uh in this hospital, which is why he starts to be like, oh, maybe it isn't. El Rey's fault, but they just, there's something about him, so uh-huh. they keep, they keep not giving him weapons, they keep trying to keep him in handcuffs. handcuffs. chains, yeah. Michael Bean is badass. By the way, he is the sheriff and the brother to the smokehouse guy. And he desperately wants his recipe for barbecue, <laughs> but he won't give it to him. Someone has brought in Fergie's dead body, which Josh Brolin gleefully shows to his wife. yeah. And after which he says, he, he demands that she give him his her phone. Yeah. Because he he's like, hey, you know, if you haven't been talking to her, what's the big deal? And he takes her syringes and like keeps stabbing her over and over again, giving the same speech that she gave to the patient earlier. And then her in her hands. And so her hands go numb, they go limp, and she ends up dropping the phone. And then he compares the two text messages and he can see the conversation that they were having. Yes, and he's about to kill her, but the EMT walks in and says, hey, you better come out. And Josh Boland's like, fuck. And he puts his wife into a closet and he walks out and he's like, what? And the EMT's like, look. And Brolin's like, where are the bodies? They didn't just get up and walk away. And he says, um, <laughs> and points to the ground. And there's just a bloody trail headed down the hallway. That is exactly what they did. They got <laughs> up and they walked away. Where the hell are the bodies? That's what we wanted to show you. They're gone. They didn't just get up and walk out, did they? (laughs) 
And this is when we'll get a bunch of way over the top violence. We're going to see people being eaten. Yeah, there are two kind of scenes that are happening at the same time. It's one at the hospital and one at the sheriff's station where Ray is. Yes. Ray will have an awesome moment where he gets his hands on a gun to shoot a zombie that's coming after him, but he also puts up his legs. Yeah, so he he ends up firing through the chains that bind his legs together and the zombie at the same time, and it's a really cool moment. Yes, and they're about to look at the dead bodies, and he, El Rey, is the one that stops them, and he's like, do not touch them, they've yeah. been infected. He recognizes right away what's going on. He's able to assess the situation, and he knows what's happening. There is some music here that definitely feels like an homage to Halloween. Sure, yeah. Well, uh, apparently, Robert Rodriguez wanted John Carpenter to score the movie, and couldn't get him for some reason. Well, there you go. (laughs) Robert Rodriguez did the score instead. There you go. Yeah. They end up, after a big fight at the sheriff's station and some of the cops dying, they end up rounding up a posse and heading to the hospital because Ray wants to get to Cherry and Michael Bean's like, well, then you're going with me. Yeah. We're taking my car. (laughs) His car blows up. Yes. I'm going with you. (laughs) Where the fuck do you think you're going? I'm going to go get Cherry. Fine, but we're taking my car. I'm riding with you. And so they end up going to the hospital. Meanwhile, when they're when they're fucking shit up in the hospital, Ray has gloves on and he ends up like stabbing all the zombies and stuff like that and like strategically avoiding the blood splatter and stuff. Yes. Because he's, first of all, he's the only one that seems to grok what's happening. And two, he's very talented with what he's doing. And we don't know why yet. Well, we never find yeah, out why. Ki- <laughs> we kind of find out why. This is the scene when all this chaos is happening at the hospital when Dakota, Josh Brolin's wife, ends up breaking out through the window and just falls two stories down onto some trash and tries to get out using her car in the chaos. She ends up, like, breaking one of her wrists in the process. Oh, yes. Ooh, because she has to, like, she has to slam her hand in between this awful 70s terrible door handle. Door handle. Yeah. And she pulls it, and it breaks. Well, she she slips on her heels and instead of, instead of taking them off. Ah. And then when she falls, but her hands still caught it, like ah. snaps her wrist. Ah. Yeah, but her hands are all floppy this whole entire time, and she has so she didn't feel it, but she knows it, you know. And so she screams, but she manages to get her car started using her mouth with the keys and all of that. She loosens the strap on her watch, which she wraps around the shifter knob and the steering column in order to put it into drive. And then she drives away as everything's blowing up. She needs to go get her son. At one point during all this chaos, Josh Brolin is almost attacked by one of the infected and he's got a bone saw and yeah. much like in idle hands <laughs> look at me I'm he runs at him but the plug only goes so far and it comes unplugged so when he gets to josh brolin's face it comes unplugged so what does he do instead well at first it, it cuts through his glasses it gets so close but yeah he pops one of the pustules on the side of his face and just smears it all over him Ah, oh, it's so gross! Ray finds Cherry, and she's still alive. She's pretending to be a corpse. <laughs> and she's really obviously very upset that she lost her leg, 
and she kind of doesn't know what's going on, of course, and he wants to get her out of there, but she's off, she's struggling with that, and so he ends up breaking the leg off of a table and shoving it into her stump in order to let her walk, so she has kind of a table leg for half the movie. That she it, it, there's it's, There's a fun moment where she's trying to wobble around on it. Yeah, she does a really good job of that. They put her in an actual cast and then green screened it out. So she couldn't bend her leg when she was actually performing, intentionally so. There you go. I like that when he gives her the peg leg, he says to her, I need you to stay strong. And she says, stay strong? And he goes, yeah. Uh-huh. She realizes that he always thought she was strong. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Dr. Block is collecting her son. Dakota, yeah. But uh-huh. he is having a tough time because he needs to grab all of his pets. His which pets. for some reason Spider, are all, like, gross scorpion. and creepy and weird. Uh-huh. Never comes back into the story. Yeah, like, why? She's like, you can't bring all of them. Uh-huh. But they get into her car and she's going to head to her dad's house. And when she gets there, she tells her son to open the glove box. And inside is a gun. Because, okay, you might be wondering why would she do this. Remember, she can't use her hands. Yeah, and so she needs him to protect himself. So she's going to leave him in the car for now, but with the gun, if anyone comes up here that isn't me, you shoot them and you shoot them in the head. And he asks, what if it's daddy? And she says, especially if it's your daddy. And he's like kind of playing with it, like looking at it. And she's like, well, be careful. Do not point that at yourself. And as she walks up and heads to her dad's front door, gunshot. But it wouldn't have mattered because immediately they're surrounded by the infected. Yes. Yes, very much so. Josh Brolin is the magically one that, that magically shows up there. Josh Brolin will magically show up a lot of times. Yes. But so I wonder if instead of killing his dad, he ended he consciously made a decision to kill himself or if it was just an accident. Don't know. Yeah, we we don't find out. But her dad, Dakota's dad, is Michael Parks, who was the sheriff from the beginning of From Dusk Till Dawn, and him and his son, his real-life son, James Parks, they're the two cops that show up at the beginning of Kill Bill and find the the murder scene at the church. So, yeah, he's used him a lot. <laughs> the first scene we get with him is his wife changes. He's, like, feeding her, and she changes while he's feeding her. And so when he answers the door, he's covered in blood already. Oh, that was him? Yes. Oh, I had no idea that was that person. Yeah. I forgot about that scene. I just figured that that had nothing to do with anything. I, yeah, I think it happens before this. It might happen after this because we don't see him for a while. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, El Rey is being interrogated by Michael Bean. He wants to know who he really is. Who are you? I mean, really? You know, it reminded me, of course, of Neverending Story. Who are you really? <laughs> but then he gets to have some alone time with Cherry. Because they all go to the barbecue joint. Yes. To stay, to stay safe. Where the brother, the chef, I guess you would call him, has already taken out some zombies and then collapsed on the floor because he slipped in the blood or the sauce or whatever it is and knocked himself out. And so when Michael Bean shows up, he thinks he's dead, but he's not. He just wakes up. But yeah, Cherry and Ray get some alone time and we get the beginning of a sex scene. And it literally made me laugh out loud because she puts up her legs and uh-huh. one of them is the peg leg and it literally made me laugh out loud. But <laughs> yeah. we also, what do we find out in this scene before they started to have sex? What does he tell her to find? Oh, that he that she had a ring in the pocket of the jacket that she's had this entire time because he was planning on proposing to her. That's my jacket. Yes, I know. 
I looked for it for two weeks. Look, you were being an unbelievable dick. I was walking out on you. I was cold. I took your fucking jacket. So, if you're gonna go on one of your psycho-obsessive controlling rants about a fucking jacket, then fucking take it, because I'd rather fucking freeze and fucking hear about it one more time. Did you find what was in the pocket? Fuck no. Look for it. No, the other one. I was gonna give it to you, but you left me. You took the jacket. And I look for it for two weeks. And she finds that, and then that's why they have the sex scene. And then missing real. Yes. This is where we get a missing real. Now, some people will say that really it's the ends of reels that have the damage because they're the ones on the outside. They're the ones that get ru- that get fed through. They get touched the most. And so those are the ones that have the most visual noise on them. They'll also say that, yes, frames would be missing from splicing reels together and stuff like that. But whole reels wasn't very common. What this is referring to, and you'll notice the two scenes where the reels are missing are the sexy scenes. In this one, it's the sex scene with Rose McGowan. And in Death Proof, it's the lap dance scene. The point is, is that sleazy projectionists at Grindhouse Theaters would steal the reels and take them home. That's what that's a reference to. And because they take the entire reel, we lose out on major plot points. And that specifically apparently happened to Tarantino when he got his hands on an original reel of some movie or something like that. There was an entire reel missing, which contained major plot points. And so they ended up using that concept for this. How funny. That was according to Vulture. But it's used to great effect because all of a sudden we're back in the middle of chaos and apparently now everybody trusts El Rey. They all know his secret, who he really is. You should have just told me or whatever. Yeah, he's apparently some badass killer, but one that the cops would like. Yes. So maybe a soldier of some kind? That's what I assume. Because I think he does know Bruce Willis. I think so. Yeah. So, but the, the barbecue place is on fire and they're trying to get away from a swarm. The mom has gone off the deep end. She's like, she's still holding her, her dead son. son. Yeah, but she loses him in this kerfuffle. Michael Bean has been shot. Uh huh. And he gives El Rey his gun and he's like, if I had only known, do what you do best. Give him all the guns. The babysitters, the twin babysitters that were watching Dakota's kid who, are here now. Who earlier. <laughs> beat the shit out of her car because, because she kicked them out because, and didn't pay them. Right, because she came home and they were like, you said 10 o'clock, bitch! <laughs> and Marley Shelton has had a rough night at that point. <laughs> she told them to get the fuck out and then they beat up the shit out of her car. But now they're friends. Yeah, because they're impressed. Obviously they're in a moment of stress, but they're also impressed with each other. She's also clearly made up with her father and they feel bad that her son died. Yeah. At some point, she regained herself, which we also did not see. And that's when she gets on the back of the bike with Cherry. And Cherry says, I'm Cherry. And she goes, you sure are. Somebody, she still has her broken wrist, though. And at some point, I think it's Ray asks if if they have, if she has a motorcycle or something like that. And she raises her hand and it just flops, which is really cute. Uh, But the motorcycle she has is one of those little toy motorcycles, little tiny ones that were all the rage around this point. (laughs) Like, you know, 20, 30-something-year-old men would ride around in. 
It was it was also a, a semi gangster thing too. But they were little kids motorcycles. They could get pretty fast. It's pretty funny watching him ride <laughs> around on it. It's pretty great. And then a dog dies for no good reason. Yeah, the dog jumps out of the car and then is hit by Ray's truck, which why? Which the sheriff Michael Bean is driving. The army pretty much obliterates them. Yeah. Takes them out real fast. And Willis gets ho- gets his hands on El Ray pretty quickly. Yeah. And so everyone is imprisoned along with... Well, first Naveed. they're told they're just in quarantine. Yes. They that's don't what understand said. what's happening. Yeah, that, that's that's what they're told. That's what's said to them. But a scientist is in there. Naveen Andrews, the guy from Lost from the beginning of the movie. Because ex- they need him to to like make more of this stuff. He explains, I know how to make the cure from the uninfected. And I've got to finish my antidote. But yeah. we've got to get out of here. They end up killing Bruce Willis in the process, who makes a transformation to this sort of homunculus thing. Tarantino shows up and basically plays the same part that he was in From Dusk Till Dawn. What, you mean a rapist? Yes. Yeah, but when he but pulls also, down his pants, his, his junk's all drippy and gross. And- oh, it's so nasty. And he's walking towards Rose McGowan. Yeah. It's, it's really disgusting. As he's coming towards her, she will break her peg leg on him and then stab him. In the eye with it, yeah. Yes. And when the other dude that's in the room starts to get jumpy, (laughs) Dr. Dakota Block has uh, more of her hands available (laughs) and uses her syringe guns that apparently she has. Well, Uh, they did show them earlier that she has them. Yeah. And then she shoots the other dude and, you know, knocking him out. And just in time for these women to have saved themselves, in comes Naveen and El Rey. And El Rey has made her an awesome, Rose McGowan, an awesome leg. A Bushmaster carbine. That attaches to her, her leg stump. Yes, and it's lots of fun. She will then use this to basically create bombs that help her fly. So it's t- it's a couple of things. First of all, you need to understand that there is no mechanism to fire this weapon, and we don't care. And second of all, there is no need to reload this gun, and we don't care. That's not what this movie is about. It's supposed to be ridiculous. But yes, it is both a Bushmaster carbine and it has a grenade launcher attachment. (laughs) (laughs) And she will use those to jump over some sort of boundary. She's making her way over to kill the military, I think, right? Yeah, they end up, you know, wrecking shop. They need to get to a helicopter and so they're fighting a bunch of the military and zombies and shit like that to get to a helicopter. There's a fun scene where she causes all of these bombs to go off and she puts on these glasses as she watches them go off. And it's it definitely reminded me of something. I couldn't place what it was that it was reminding me of something. I'm sure it's an homage to something that I've seen at some point. But she watches them all go off and she's got her lips are parted and it's a cool shot. Unfortunately, it's cut short because El Rey gets shot. So she has to go and say goodbye to Rey, and it's a very sad moment. Meanwhile, 
the the rest of the group are looking for helicopters to get the heck out of there, and Josh Brolin just happens to be uh-huh. in the helicopter that Dakota walks into. Yeah, and he says something about knowing she was going to be there, or she said she was going there, or something weird. But I don't remember ever seeing that moment in the movie, and maybe it's in the missing reel. Maybe we just missed it. I, I don't know. And he goes to attack her, and that's when... Her dad shows up and takes care of him. And when he's done, he says, I never liked him. And she smiles. But the question is then, why did she marry him in the first place? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes okay relationships go bad. Everybody gets into a helicopter. And the guy who earlier told Rose McGowan, her boss, who told her it's go-go, not cry-cry. Yeah. Walks in. Apparently he can fly helicopters. And he walks in, and the two babysitters are starting to, like, mess around. He's like, shut up, sit down, and don't touch anything. (laughs) And then they kind of, like, become his co-pilots. Yes. Which is really cute. He, by the way, is apparently Robert Rodriguez's real estate agent. And he is kind of, you know, stone-faced and and doesn't get excited about anything and is very serious all the time. And so they thought he'd be perfect for this role. (laughs) Yeah, he was pretty funny. And it's pretty great when he goes to kill a bunch of the zombies with the helicopter Helicopter blades, blades, which we've seen before. Yeah. What movies have we seen? I could not remember. We've seen it before on this show. Yeah. And I can't remember what movie that was. It's great every time. You can write us, by the way. It's okay. We get so excited every time. (laughs) And I cannot remember what movie did this. But it's pretty funny. The babysitters are like, ay, 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 (laughs) as they go to kill them all. And as Rose McGowan has to leave because they're leaving. So if she wants to get out of there, she's got to go with them. She doesn't want to say goodbye to El Rey. No. He he touches her stomach and says, uh, you won't be alone. I never miss. <laughs> and he says like the two of us or whatever it is that their line is, two of us against the world. Yes. And, you know, of course now he's referring to her and their child because she's pregnant now. And what's the thing that she said about raising her hand up? Earlier, Dr. Block had told her before Tarantino tried to rape her. Before that, they were having a a heart-to-heart conversation, and she had been explaining, you know, I have all these useless talents. We haven't talked about this. She constantly says, useless talent number whatever. Yeah. Earlier, we saw that there is a use for every useless talent that she has, including one of them where she can do, and I can do this, like, lots of people can do this, Uh the whole- Lean backwards. Spider Uh thing where you're upside down backwards. She uses that- when a bomb gets thrown at her and it uh-huh. goes past her. But earlier, Dr. Block had told her, you've just got to reach up. Uh-huh. And here... To, like, elevate your status is what she's talking about. Take care of yourself, you know. Yes, take care of yourself, yes. And here, they've now, they're now in a helicopter and they send down a length of rope for Rose McGowan to hold on to. And she says, reach up. Uh-huh. And... We then get an epilogue, because he told them, put your backs against the ocean and fight like hell. Yeah. So they do. And she is now in this white dress on a a horse leading people in Mexico. Uh Uh-huh. And And now her leg has been replaced with a minigun. Yes. And she (laughs) explains that she leads these people. Uh Her and their daughter do. And yeah, they have like a fight sequence at the end. And it's... 
it's a lot of fun. This and then they're movie just hanging out on the beach and yeah. Is a lot of fun. It is, yeah. Apparently, if you watch the movie just by itself, there is a post credit scene. Oh. That has Tony, the kid who killed himself, also at the beach with the survivors. I don't know if he's a zombie or he survived. Because they, they leave him at the barbecue place when they run out of that place. But apparently he's here at the survivor's camp and he's playing with his animals. The turtle, the scorpion, the tarantula, I guess. Oh, we also didn't say that the two brothers, the sheriff and the chef, blow themselves up at the military base, buying the people some time and destroying the, the gas. And that's the end of Planet Terror. So, we get a few fake trailers again, like Machete at the beginning. Reportedly, theaters had a lot of problems with people leaving after the first movie, either because they're like, well, I can't stick around for a whole another movie, or they didn't understand what the concept of, they thought Planet Terror was Grindhouse, and so they didn't quite understand what was going on, and so they got up to leave, and so they would station people there at the exits at the time when Planet Terror was supposed to end to tell people, the movie's not over, just so you know. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how true that is. You know, it's like one of those things where like, oh, people threw up, the movie was so scary or whatever. You know, sometimes there's that shit and it's like, yeah, it happened to one person because they got food poisoning. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I again, I don't know how accurate that is, but it's a fun story to tell. So what are the fake trailers we get here? Werewolf Women of the SS. Which was Rob Zombie. Yes, uh, and, and featuring... Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. <laughs> well, but also his wife, because he can't even make a trailer yeah. without Sherry Zombie Moon being in there. Uh, Sherry Moon Zombie. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> and Udo Kier is in that as well. The funny thing about this is that there are actually quite a few 70s exploitation films about... Nazis. Nazis, and some of them were about women. I mean, they're... There's one particular one, The She-Wolf of the SS. It's a real movie. And it's based on, supposedly it's based on a real uh, guard from yeah. that, who was this evil guard who loved to torture people. Yeah. So that's probably where these ideas came from. We get a interstitial advertisement for Acuna Boys Authentic Tex-Mex Food. Next door. Yeah. So the name Acuna Boys comes from the film Rolling Thunder. It's a gang in Rolling Thunder, which is from 1977. But both Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino have used that name a lot. First of all, Quentin Tarantino's distribution company is called Rolling Thunder Pictures. Acuna Boys, the logo for the for the food place, is in Jackie Brown. It's uh, the gang in Kill Bill 2. Acuna is the town where El Mariachi and Desperado were filmed and take place. So, yeah, it's, an, it's a recurring name because, of course, it is. <laughs> then we get Don't. Don't. Which, in my opinion, is the best trailer in this movie. It is very funny. It's probably my favorite part of Grindhouse. <laughs> and, of course, of course, it's the one that Edgar Wright made. Yes. We get, you know, it feels like a giallo sort of film or those, you know, Italian horror movies, maybe not specifically giallo, but it feels like one of those. Specifically, it's a call to Torso. Torso. Which is on our list. Yes, which we will be we will be watching at some point where at the end of the trailer, the narrator just says, Torso, 
torso, torso. <laughs> and this has that same sort of feel. Don't, 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 Torso. 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 It saturates the screen with terror. Torso. Rated R. Don't. 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 And there's a lot of people from Edgar Wright movies that that are in it. Nick Frost is in it as a dude dancing in a diaper or something like that, if I remember correctly. Uh, But it feels the most authentic of all of these trailers. It's funny that you say that because the next one is Thanksgiving. Okay. If it wasn't for Eli Roth's voiceover in Thanksgiving... Thanksgiving would be right up there. It is a fantastic mock trailer. It's a little too long for what it is. It could have been cut down by half, I think, and it would have been even better. But I'm very surprised at the job that Eli Roth did here. He made it like in two days, apparently, while he was filming Hostel 2. And it's it's surprisingly really good. Obviously a play on Halloween, but it's Thanksgiving. Which is funny that you say that because this looks like it could be home sweet home. Well, because it's about Thanksgiving, but the way everything's framed, we get the point of view of the killer and all of that. There's that scene where he kills the woman at the very beginning, which is like right out of Halloween. It's 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 supposed to be a Halloween joke. There's some good taglines. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. One being there will be no leftovers. Yeah, this this Thanksgiving, there will be no leftovers. Do you have any others? Yes. White meat, dark meat, all will be carved. Uh-huh. A lot of and, weird sex stuff, which wasn't in Halloween, though, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and then somebody is like, oh, my God, it's blood. And Michael Bean says, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so then we go right into Death Proof, which for about a second, we get a different title card. A lot of these movies did change names. Torso wasn't its original name. It was like Carnal Violence or or something like that, where it was called Quentin Tarantino's Thunderbolt, and then it flashes over to, to Death Proof. <laughs> Apparently, where the idea for this movie came is because Quentin Tarantino was talking to his buddy, Sean Penn, and... Tarantino was looking to buy a car, and he was saying to Sean Penn that he wanted to buy a Volvo because he didn't want to die in a car accident. And Sean Penn said, well, just give it to one of the stunt teams that you work with, ten dollars or $15,000, and they can death-proof it for you. And then I guess that term kind of stuck with him, and then he decided to make a whole fucking movie out of that. Well, this movie is... This is exactly what Tarantino wanted it to be. Yes. It is an homage to, they even bring it up in the film, Vanishing Point. Which and I admit, several other car 70s yes. movies, yeah. But I was going to say, I've never seen Vanishing Point, but because of this movie, it's become very, very famous. Yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds and like a bunch of others. Yes, so there were a lot of gearhead movies that were about car chases yeah and that's exactly what he wanted to do here along with the grime and the goriness of the 70s Uh along with the torture porn aspect of the 70s plus butts and feet lots (laughs) of feet lots of butts and feet in this one Mm. we get feet right over the opening credits of the movie yes (laughs) and then we see a very beautiful girl who is not rosario dawson 
I forget that this movie has two groups of girls. Yes. And when you first see this girl, she's got long, curly black hair. Uh-huh. And Rosario Dawson usually has long, I curly black hair. I don't know about usually. Often. In this movie, Rosario Dawson has a has a Betty Page hair day. Yes. And it's absolutely beautiful. I love it. it. Yes, she's adorable. <laughs> but I totally thought this was her. No, this is Sydney Poitier. Yes. Sydney Poitier's daughter playing Jungle Julia, who there was a reference to in Planet Terror. On the radio, they talk about how she's gone missing or she was in a car accident or I can't remember. Oh. Just, just really quick when somebody turns on a radio. Missed that. Yeah. She is being picked up by her two friends. There's Arlene, who we will come to know as Butterfly, uh, played by Vanessa Ferlito. There's Shanna, played by Jordan Ladd. Eventually, we will meet a character named Lana, who just shows up, who they're waiting for at the bar. It's the reason why they spend so much time at the bar before they go out for this ladies' weekend at a cabin or something like that. Lana is played by Monica Staggs, who was... In fact, Daryl Hannah's stunt double in Kill Bill, and they make a comment about how Rosario Dawson's guy slept with a stunt double for Daryl Hannah. That's a reference to her. Ah. So what goes on with these women? Jordan Ladd being the granddaughter of Alan Ladd and the daughter of Cheryl Ladd, who was a Charlie's Angel. So apparently her job as Jungle Julia is relatively new because every time they drive by one of her billboards, they get really excited and scream about Uh it. But apparently she said over the radio that she was going to have a friend in town for the weekend and she told them, you know, if you see us out there, you've got to say this poem to her. Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. And then she will give you a lap dance. Inviting creepy people to do creepy things. Uh And her excuse is just like, hey, you know what? One of these guys is going to be cute, and then you can do it and then see where that goes. Or if you don't like them, just say you've already done it. Yes. Because only one was promised. The first person to come up to her was the promise. Yes. And Butterfly notices that they're being followed. Or she thinks they are. They go into a shop or something like that at one point, and she sees Kurt Russell in his car. And he kind of stops, looks at her, she looks at him, and then he drives off. We know that they're being followed, but she's like, that was weird. Well, later she's going to see him again. Uh And then that's why she thinks that they're being followed. And she'll confront him about Uh it, and he'll just lie. And it's like, it couldn't be more obvious that he's lying? Oh, he is 100% following them. But the thing is, is Kurt Russell in this movie is charming as fuck. And he does things that are really creepy that sometimes charming people get away with because they're charming. So they go to the bar where they are immediately sent a round of shots. Yeah, the shots come from Quentin Tarantino, who is the owner of the bar. And the rule is that when he sends shots, you have to drink them. And then they all do a round. And they also have some guys there with them at this point that they've met while they're out, which includes Eli Roth. Tarantino will ask them if that was a tasty beverage. Do you know what that's a reference to? Pulp Fiction. Yes, because Samuel L. Jackson will comment on the fact that from Big Kahuna, the drink that he has is a tasty beverage. You mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down? But it's funny because I originally thought of 
the short from Four Rooms that Tarantino was oh, in. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. But that's not the correct reference, because he says it's fucking Cristal. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird that that's stored in your brain there. I can't remember. I can't remember the last time I've I seen feel, Four Rooms. <laughs> but I feel like he does say it's a tasty beverage, because it's fucking Cristal. <laughs> but yes, that's what I initially uh-huh. remembered. But yes, you are correct. It is from Pulp Fiction. So, Ted, what do you think about that tasty beverage? <clears throat> it's fucking good, sir. It's fucking crystal. So, Butterfly goes outside to have a cigarette where it's all dark. The lights get flipped on for some reason. I forget. Because Tarantino. Tarantino just says it's time to turn them on. Yeah. And when it gets flipped on, this is when B- Butterfly will notice there's Kurt Russell again. His sitting car is in the, in the dark parking lot uh-huh. staring at her. But she can't really tell if anybody's in there because it's so dark. But yeah, she I can't feels, remember if he's already in the bar by this point or not. But she feels like he's looking at her. Yeah. They will say, wonder if BJ brought the bear with him. That's what Eli Roth says. That him and, and the other guy that's with these girls, they're trying to come up with a way where they can get these girls drunk enough where a night with the girls at the cabin becomes a night with the girls and two guys, you know? Yes. Um, which is really sleazy, yes. And then they will make fun of Kurt Russell sitting at the bar wearing his, like, stuntman jacket. That says, what does it say? It has an advertisement like a racing car at like Pennzoil or something like that on the back. I can't remember specifically what it's advertising. But yeah, he has a scar on his eye, the same scar that the same eye that Snake Plissken wears a eye patch over in the Escape movies. Mm. Played by Kurt Russell. And he will sit next to Rose McGowan. Yes, who shouts to Tarantino that she needs a ride. Hey, Warren. Is there anybody in this place you could vouch for to give me a ride home? Fair lady, your chariot awaits. Yes. And then he tosses the keys down the the bar. And what does he say to her? Like, your chariot awaits or I'm your huckleberry or something. He says something like along those lines. Yes. And she's like, well, but haven't you been drinking? And he's like, not at all. Only virgin pina coladas. That's his, that's his like big drink of the night but earlier he's just drinking like water or something like that or, or iced tea or arnold palmer's or something and she asks him well then why are you hanging out in a bar and he says well bars offer all kinds of things besides liquor yeah we find out that his name is stuntman mike uh-huh and that he's been a stuntman in a lot of movies that the people at this bar are too young to have ever heard of we find out that rose mcgowan does not like the girls that are sitting yeah, in the bar. Yeah, because Julia was a total bitch to her growing up. Yes. But they, they're they still kind of cordial to each other when they're face to face. But Julia, before, will remark on how Isn't much she, she hates her. Is dirty her. hippie? Yeah, something like that. Who, the dirty hippie? Yeah, she's not a hippie. She might as well be a hippie. <laughs> Do you know what just happened to her? No, but I know she's a skinny fake blonde bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. You were telling a story. Do we get another missing reel here? I don't think so. I'm asking Chris if there's another missing reel because the next time we see them, the group that we've been watching are outside smoking weed. Mm-hmm. And I think the girl who was late finally showed up. Yes. Yeah. And the next thing we see is him outside. Well, why is he outside talking to the girls instead of giving Rose McGowan a ride home? Well, because he's not there for Rose McGowan. 
True, and he. Do- I think he does tell her, you've got to wait. Yeah, when I'm ready to go, if you're also ready to go, then I will give you a ride. You offering me a ride home? I'm offering you a lift. If, when I'm ready to leave, you are too. And when are you thinking about leaving? Truthfully, I'm not thinking about it. When I do, you will be the first to know. Okay. Yeah, he, so he's outside. He's smoking a cigarette, I think. And they're smoking weed. Uh, and they are eating Big Kahuna Burger. Uh-huh. They offer him weed and he says no. And they ask him, I think like, oh, what have you been in or whatever. And he says he was on the show The Virginian. Mm-hmm. He also identifies, don't I know you from somewhere? Right when in the background there's a Jungle Julia billboard, you know, of her. And she calls him Zadoichi at this point, who is a famous blind samurai. At some point in this conversation with the girls, he ends up talking to Butterfly and quoting the poem. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. And I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Did you hear me, Butterfly? Miles to go before you sleep. Julia will say, nope, too late. She's already done it. She's not going to do it for you. Doesn't even check in with Butterfly to see if she's interested. She just feels she knows best, right? At first, he's like, I don't believe you. He says, well, you know how people say, well, you're all right in my book. And he's supposed to be doing a... John Wayne, yeah. He does a really good John Wayne. (laughs) Yes, he does an excellent John Wayne. You know how people say, you're okay in my book, or in my book, that's no good. He says, well, I just so happen to have a real live book that I do put people's names in. Uh Uh-huh, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to put your name under chicken shit. And now I've met you, and you're going in the book. Yeah. Except, I'm afraid I must file you under chicken shit. And he explains, I know you've been here all night. I know you haven't done this. And I know that it's bothered you all night because not a single person has asked you to do this. And uh-huh. you thought that everyone would. Uh-huh. And so that's what gets her to do it. But the reel is taken out of the film. When we come back, everyone's leaving and Butterfly and Julia are talking to Pam, who is Rose McGowan. And they're having a cordial conversation, but there's still a little combativeness in there when they accuse her of going to fuck stuntman Mike for giving her a ride home. And he's like, I can hear you. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, I'm not going to sleep with him. I can hear you. He's like as old as my dad. I can still hear you. <laughs> I am not going to fuck him. I can hear you. He's old enough to be my I can still hear you. (laughs) And so they they get into his car. He explains it's death proof. I'm a stuntman. I've got to be able to do crazy shit. Mm -hmm. But he does say you're going to sit where the camera usually sits. And he specifically says it's called a crash box. Yeah. And it's like. If you're that dumb, you're that dumb. (laughs) I don't need to ride this bad. Thank you. Yeah, this car is a 70 Chevy Nova. It has a chrome duck hood ornament. This is a reference to Convoy, where Chris Christopherson plays a truck driver, and he has a duck on his hood ornament. And Ernest Borgnine is the police, and it's truck drivers versus the police. Before he gets into the car, he will smile at the camera. 
breaks yes. the fourth wall to let us know that he has a plan. It's like a Smokey and the Bandit sort of reference where Burt Reynolds would smile at the camera all the time. Didn't know that. So they get into the car. They drive up to get out of the parking lot. And he says, so which way are you going, right or left? And whichever way she says, he goes, uh, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left. You could have just as easily been going left, too. And if that was the case, it would have been a while before you started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're going to have to start getting scared immediately. And she realizes very quickly that this is going to be bad for her. Yeah. She starts to scream and, like, hits the the glass, the plexiglass that, that separates the two of them. He ends up swerving so that she will hit her head on the glass. After which she'll be like, oh, haha, this is so funny. Such a good joke. I promise I won't I won't think yeah. anything of it. Just take me home now. And he's like, no. It's, it's, it's very creepy when he makes this turn. And then, no, he... Like, slams on the brakes at one point to where her face gets smashed into the dashboard and she is D-E-D dead. And then he is, he's not done. No. Now he's going to go after those girls that he saw. And they are driving, enjoying music. They're dancing around in their car. Uh-huh. One has her leg out the, the window, which is exactly how Tarantino sits in From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh-huh. Of course, she's got... Nothing on her foot, so that we yeah. get a nice close-up <laughs> of her foot. We've got the girl in the back who is does is not wearing a seatbelt. We've got Butterfly who is wearing a seatbelt, and we've got the driver. Kurt Russell will drive very quick, very fast up ahead of them. We'll turn around his car, we'll turn his lights off, and then wait for them. When they are driving towards him, he will flick on his lights too late for them to realize or do anything. Mm-hmm. He hits them. Oh, this is a great segment. Yes, and in slow-mo, I remember the leg being far worse, so I was, like, already covering up my eyes, So but it wasn't nearly as bad as I remembered it being. So what happens is, from the moment he turns on his lights by pulling the knob on his dash, we relive that moment four times to see exactly what happens to each person in the car, and what happens to Jungle Julia is the car gets crushed and the window severs her leg, and it goes flying and flops on the ground, and it looks pretty realistic yeah but i remembered it being like way more More graphic yeah but it's really not it's actually pretty quick and is it butterfly or the driver that gets her face scraped off by the tire it is butterfly that gets her her face scraped off by the tire the girl in the back who's not wearing a seatbelt goes flying through the car and ends up out on the freeway and i don't remember what happened specifically to the driver but we just relive that moment over four times and then we see that his car tumbles and flips and everything like that but he'll be fine apparently in an early version of this movie i don't know if they actually filmed it or not he was supposed to be master at this point, lying upside down or on his side or something like that, crashed in the car. And they're like, eh, it's unnecessary because we're going we to explain it. it in the next scene. And we get it anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you seen the movie Crash? <laughs> the, the first Crash, not the second Crash? Not the Academy Award winning Crash, <laughs> but the other one. But the face. So the leg wasn't as bad as I remembered it being, but the face, which I had forgotten about, oh, is pretty just bad. scrapes off all the skin from her skull. It's a pretty impressive effect. 
And back at the hospital, we see Dr. Block. Yep. The chick, the woman. Yeah, Dakota Block. She goes out and tells her dad and her brother, who are police officers, a sheriff and the deputy, about he's lucky, but he's going to survive. And the, the dad and the brother, Michael Parks and James Parks, are talking about how they know he did this on purpose, but they can't prove it. So they're pretty much just going to have to let him go. But they explain that, yeah, he gets off on this stuff. So, Pop, what do you think? Well, son number one, what I think is a goddamn ghoulish, I hesitate to speak it out loud. Well, give it a shot. Well, what we have here is a case of vehicle homicide. That old boy in there murdered them pretty little gals. I mean, he used a car, not a hatchet, but they did just the same. Well... What are you gonna do? Not a goddamn thing. DA says ain't no crime here. There one of them guys was swimming out of the hall, floating on weed. An old hooper in there. He might clean as a whistle. Now you actually think that he premeditatively murdered them gals? Well, I can't prove it. But since thinking don't cost nothing, I can think it, and I do. Yeah, but Pop, he got pretty banged up himself. Hell yeah, he got banged up. Giant, damn, I mean, them pretty old gals now look like a goddamn giant to chew them up and spit them out. Why? Well, I'd guesstimate it's a sex thing. The only way I can figure it high velocity impact, twisted metal, busted glass, all four souls taken exactly at the same time. Probably the only way that diabolical degenerate can shoot his goo. Because it's, he has plausible deniability that it was just an accident. Then we will meet the second group of girls. And this is Rosario Dawson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the stunt woman. Zoe Bell. And Tracy Toms. And she's famous from? Probably most famous from Rent. She's been in a lot of other things. Yeah, I've seen her before. Yeah, but she's the other woman in Rent who sets up the equipment and everything. Devil Wears Prada she's in. But so we get this conversation between them in the car on the way to breakfast. And Rosario Dawson, as Chris pointed out, is upset because the guy that is way into her on her birthday fucked Daryl Hannah's stand-in. Yeah. But he fucked another woman. On my birthday. Which the joke is because it's the other girl that she's friends with. But they ask her, you know, like, what did he do for you for your birthday? She's like, well, he made me a tape. And they're like, wait, you mean that he actually taped things for you? Like yeah. on a cassette? That's didn't, the cutest thing ever. Didn't burn you a CD? <laughs> That's so romantic. And he's like, what part of he fucked another woman on my birthday don't you understand? Yeah, and they're like, maybe there's more to it. And they <laughs> ask her about it. She's like, well, no, we haven't had, we haven't even kissed. I let him uh-huh. hold, my, hold my hand at and a her, movie. Her logic for that is, is that you don't get to be his girlfriend if you fuck him. Yes. And they're like... I, oh, and she says, I let him give me a foot massage. Yeah, which, of course, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> but they all tell her, they're like, well, if he's not getting it from you, he's going to get it from somebody else. Yeah, and so they're kind of like, not on her side. 
Oh, we should probably point out that, of course, Zoe Bell, one of the two stunt women here, the other one being Kim, Tracy Tom's character, is an actual stunt woman. She does the really big stunt on the hood later on in this movie. She is Uma Thurman's stunt double, the one that they used in Kill Bill. And they wanted to use her in this. And she thought she was just going to be, in her words, a featured extra. Like, you know, one of the girlfriends in this. She didn't realize that she was going to have such a big part in the movie when she signed on. And it's a pretty big part that she has. And I think she did a really good job. She does a fine double. job. Yeah. yeah. So they're all sitting there at breakfast talking and the camera is circling them. It's Reservoir Dogs. Yes. It's a breakfast scene from Reservoir Dogs. And as it circles, we see Kurt Russell in the yep. background watching yep. them. And it's all a one-er. The, 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 the shot never cuts this entire conversation. And they're just having, it's kind of a meaningless conversation. The point is, is that Zoe Bell is the big risk taker and sometimes she's a klutz or whatever. No, Rosario Dawson is the klutz. She explains, if I had done half the things that this girl did, I'd be dead. Right, but Zoe Bell's the one who falls in that pit on accident because she's just so carefree Sometimes things just happen to her. Right, but she never gets hurt. Right. She's yeah. a cat. Exactly. Remember when Mary Elizabeth Winstead was not famous? Yes. And was the random one at this group? Yep. <laughs> and Did we she, talk about how she was in The Thing? She plays point? the Kurt Russell character in The Thing remake? Oh, yeah. I mean, later on, after this movie came out, but... Yeah, Kurt Russell, obviously, from The Thing, and then she was in the remake playing the main character in that. True. So they ask their friend, played by Zoe Bell, who's only there for the weekend, well, what do you want to do since you're here? Or for a month or something. Yeah. Because they're filming a movie. And she's from New Zealand. Yes. Which Mary Elizabeth Winstead will ask her if she's Australian. Uh-huh. And they make the whole joke about you'd ever call a Kiwi an Aussie. Yeah. So they're sitting there at breakfast and they're asking her Zoe Bell what would you like to do while you're here and she goes it just so happens I know exactly what I want to do oh really and what would that be to me there's no point in being in America unless you can drive a Detroit muscle car and I want to drive a Dodge Challenger <laughs> fuck me swinging balls out <laughs> um, well I guess we can talk to Transpo but does it have to be a Dodge Challenger not just that. It has to be a 1970 Dodge Challenger with a 440 engine. <laughs> How in the fuck do you expect to do that? No worries, mate. I've got it all worked out. When I knew I was coming here, I went online and found out that the local paper here in Tennessee is the Lebanon News Sentinel. I've been getting the paper for the last month, mm -hmm. and I've been checking the classified at the back looking at cars for sale. So, as of yesterday, for sale in this town, some dude is selling a stock 1970 Dodge Challenger with a 440 engine and a white paint job. And you want to buy it? Kim, I may be stupid, but I'm not bloody stupid. I want to say I want to buy it, so he'll let me test drive it. A 1970 Dodge Challenger with a white paint job? Oh, uh, Kowalski. Kowalski from Vanishing Point. Mate, it's a fucking classic. There's a cute little conversation here where everybody's like, what the fuck is Vanishing Point? <laughs> and uh, they're like, listen, while you are watching your John Hughes movies like Pretty in Pink, which Mary Elizabeth Winstead says, I love Pretty in Pink. <laughs> she says, while you were watching that crap, we were watching Vanishing Point. And, they, and one of them turns to her, I think it's Dawson, and she's like, 
so what, you don't like John Hughes movies? And she goes, no, I fucking love John Hughes movies because I'm a girl, but I also love Vanishing Point because Uh I'm a gearhead. Yes. So they go to get this car, and Zoe takes the chick from Rent aside, and they have this whole conversation, and the chick from Rent is like, this is really dangerous, you shouldn't do this, last time we did this, you told me not to let you do this. Uh-huh. And she goes, yeah, but I didn't realize that I would have this option. The game that she wants to play is called Ship's Mast, but we don't know what that entails yet. Yes. And they're like, and she's like, well, how are we even going to let him, uh, let you test drive it? And she's like, we'll have our friends stay here. As collateral. Mary Elizabeth Winstead being that friend. Well, at first they also want to leave Rosario Dawson. Oh, yeah. But Dawson walks up and she's like, what the fuck? You are not going to leave me here with this asshole. By the way, the guy who they're they're getting the car from, I know from all the Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, his name's Jonathan Loughran, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, You know, he's the guy that talks like this in all all of the uh, Adam Sandler movies. He's also one of the rapists from Kill Bill 1 who owns the pussy wagon. Oh, yes. Yes. And they have their car is um, the one that they're driving up here is a 72 Mustang. And it's and it's painted with a paint job to look like, you know, the the jumpsuit, the yellow jumpsuit with the black stripe. From Kill Bill, and it's called the Lil Pussy Wagon. Well, this part has always pissed me off. It's one of the biggest, it's not one of the biggest, but it's a big reason why I don't like this movie. In general, I think Tarantino loves strong women. Mm -hmm. And in general, his women are very strong. Occasionally, you'll get a whiny, annoying girl. Mm -hmm. So I think... Tarantino has seen two women in his life. Sure, yeah. Or he only wants to see one, but he's also seen the other enough that he puts these in there. But women are usually either very, very strong characters or they're whiny, annoying characters. Uh huh. It's one of the two. And it bothers me that Tarantino has these very strong women leave their friend yeah. mm-hmm. in this kind of situation. In fact... Rosario Dawson will jokingly say that she's going to insinuate that her friend is going to give him a blowjob. Yeah. She says not really. But then later when she's talking to him, he asks, is it a porno movie that you're making? And she says, yes, yes, it is. Uh Uh-huh. Which is obviously supposed to put ideas in his head. Exactly. And I'm like, Tarantino, one thing that women, like something that women have to work at is being good friends. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And sticking up for your friends and making sure that nothing happens to your friends. Yeah. This is the exact opposite of that, and it bothers me that Tarantino didn't have a problem with putting this in his movie. And, of course, one of the, like, two things that everyone knows about Death Proof is that, yes, at the end of the movie, it has a very particular ending, but they never resolve what happens to Mary Elizabeth Winstead. (laughs) Yeah. She is theoretically left there because this car that they're taking out and leaving her as collateral gets fucking totaled so yeah that this is never resolved as they drive away in the car they say hey good looking we'll be back to pick you up later which is a reference to a mr microphone commercial hey good looking we'll be back to pick you up later hey good looking be back to pick you up later where, you know, it's just a microphone that you tune and you turn your radio to the thing and it's these guys use it to pick up chicks because oh <laughs> it's so bad. The rest of this movie is just going to be car chase now. Well, 
like 20 minutes of it. Dawson convinces them to take her and to leave their friends. So they do. They won't tell Dawson what it is that they're going to do. And they say, if you're going to come, you have to sit in the back and just shut the fuck up. And let's do what we're going to do. We haven't said what Rosario Dawson's character's name is, and I kind of love it. She goes by Abby, but that's because her name is Abernathy. And I think that's a really pretty name. I figure we better get it on the recording here. (laughs) Yes. In fact, at one point she says, I'm Abernathy. And the guy with the car says, what's your first name? She goes, that is my first name. (laughs) So the chick from Rent and Zoe are talking about what they're going to do. They get Dawson's belt from her, and they're going to use it for... Ship's mast, which is a person sitting on top of the hood of a car holding on to belts that keep you connected to the windows. It goes into the windows and they close the door and that's what keeps the belts in place. Now, the chick from Rent, who's going to be driving the car, says that she wants to wear the jacket that Zoe is wearing. Uh Uh-huh. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, because just to feel badass. But yeah, it's a safety measure for the person. It's a safety thing. Yes. uh The reason why bikers wear leather is because that protects their skin from getting scraped off when they crash. So it doesn't make any fucking sense that the driver would be wearing it and not the person on the hood of the car. Uh Uh-huh. But she wants to wear the jacket. Yes. Then there is a long car chase. So It's like 20 minutes long. It's the rest of the movie. Well, first, I'd just like to point out, slow the fuck down. Like, I understand you can't slam on the brakes because your friend's on the hood. Take your foot off the accelerator at least. You're not going to outrun this guy. It's very clear for several minutes. You are not going to outrun him. So just slow down so at the very least... You know, you don't have your friend on the hood and you're speeding and they're crashing and stuff like that. But they never do. There wouldn't be a movie if they did that. <laughs> but yes, eventually they uh, they crash and Zoe Bell gets like thrown from the car and into the weeds and he drives off. And she pops up. It's like, I'm okay. Yes. So, yes, they make them crash. And at first, yeah, you think that Zoe Bell is dead. Yeah. The other two are fine. But they're freaking out. They're they're very scared that she is dead. And they did get some hits in. They did hit him back a couple times. And he gets out of his car. He says, that was fun. Adios. But we didn't mention this earlier. The chick from Rent explained that she has a gun because she wants to be able to do her laundry whenever she feels like yes, it. Uh, if that's at midnight, <laughs> then that's at midnight. So she ends up shooting Kurt Russell. And that's why he drives away. Yeah. Yes. She shoots him in like the shoulder. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yes, Zoe the cat pops up, says, I'm okay. <laughs> it's very cute. Zoe says, that was a close one. And that's when the chick from Rent's like, want to go get him? And they're like, yeah, and they go. Uh And this is when it gets good. Because then it's like they're having a lot of fun getting back at him. Yeah. Because at first they're like, what the fuck is going on? But now it's like, oh, the game's on. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to get you. Zoe grabs a pole from the railing that they crashed into. Yeah, like she's jousting. Uh And she sits on the window of the car, Uh charging at him. It's pretty fun. They ram him from behind a couple times. She beats him with the pipe a couple times. Oh, yeah. And this is where, like, the movie takes a turn and where Kurt Russell is a predator for the entire movie up to the moment that Tracy Toms shoots him and then all of a sudden he starts panicking and freaking out and he is a 
scared little man for the rest of the movie. And a part of you might be like, you know, you react to somebody being scared, I think, viscerally a little bit. So part of you is like that. But the rest of you is like fucking good. He deserves to be scared. Yeah, and he starts crying and saying he's sorry. Uh, <laughs> You're just like, oh, we're going to kill you, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. And then, yeah, it's just a it's just another chase, but the, the shoe is on the other foot now. Yes. They manage to come to a stop, at which point they pull him out of the car, and in a sort of montage of punches, where we get zoom, sounds and it speeds up and and slows down and he gets punched some like 37 times in half a minute i yeah and i I wrote down the punches are a little much here yeah but there were a lot of fun things while they're while they were chasing after him there's like a quiet shot where they were going after him which is really good um at one point some random dude like drives by oh, yeah, the motorcycle and you're like what must that guy be thinking <laughs> he just gets rammed into the side of the shack yes when they when they run through traffic yeah he forces them off the, the side road and he thinks that they that he's gotten away because he can't see them but they're up above him and they're just begging don't dead end don't dead end don't dead end and sure enough it reconnects and they manage to ram into ram into him like right at the end there but yeah so they punch him so many times and then he you know he falls down the killing blow well first we get a freeze frame of them like yay and you're like oh i guess that's the end then the freeze frame cuts back to regular uh-huh. time and rosario dawson just does one brings of those her leg heel things. straight yes. down uh-huh. into his face just and it's smashing great. his face and yes he is absolutely dead but this is where the movie ends and then we get a weird montage at the end with the uh Yes. with the credits. It's not because it's credits for the whole Grindhouse movie. It's not specifically related to Death Proof. But, but we get yes. random pictures of women and I tried looking it up online and no one knows who these women no, are. No, it's it's just random. It's supposed to be like a Grindhouse feel. It's it's not supposed to be a Did reference they really. Do to that at the end of Grindhouse movies? No, just having, you know, still pictures of women like 70s Weird. You know, exploitation film actresses. Thought it was strange. Yeah, no, it's very strange. I think there's one or two shots that are actually actresses from this movie that are in that. But yeah, people talk about how this is the one Quentin Tarantino movie that is told in completely chronological order. And while that is technically true, sort of, we do see him like flashback to him taking pictures of them, I think, at one point. But the story isn't told out of order. That is technically true. But Death Proof is part of the larger Grindhouse movie, and those two movies, Planet Terror and Death Proof, are told out of order. (laughs) Death Proof comes first chronologically, and then Planet Terror with the end of the fucking world. Yes. And we know they're connected because Dakota Block and the Sheriff and the Deputy are all in in both movies playing the same exact character. So it's not in chronological order after all. (laughs) All right. Here's the big question, Kelsey. What do you think that Grindhouse has... On Rotten Tomatoes. 77? 84. Grindhouse delivers exhilarating exploitation fare with wit and panache, improving upon its source material with feral intelligence. Planet Terror got a 74 on its own. A cool and hip Grindhouse throwback, Planet Terror is an unpredictable zombie thrill ride. And then Death Proof on its own has a 
64, so they keep going down by 10 points. Death Proof may feel somewhat minor in the context of Tarantino's larger filmography, but on its own merits, it packs just enough of a wallop to deliver sufficiently high-octane grindhouse goods. So grindhouse, according to the Rotten Tomatoes score, is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So the individual movies aren't rated as high as the entire grindhouse experiences. Because yes, there is something you get from watching the double feature with the extra trailers and in the format that it's presented in that gives you an experience that you don't get if you just watch the two movies independently. I understand that. Grindhouse as a whole has a Metacritic of 77, though. So you got that. Nice. Cinema score of B+. Do you think this movie is overrated or underrated? Uh, it's kind of hard to say with all the different scores you just we'll gave We'll say me. just Grindhouse, 84, Rotten Tomatoes, Maybe 77, just Metacritic. slightly overrated. Really? What would you give it? I was going to give it a 79. Oh, you, you're, for you, it doesn't even tip into the 80s. No. I was thinking like... There's too much of it I don't enjoy. Yeah. But I, I'm not an idiot. I watch this movie. I know when I'm seeing talent. Yes. Like there is a lot of talent in this film. It is very well put together. A lot of skill. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's great. It's it's a good movie. It's just not my kind of movie. Yeah. I like Planet Terror a lot more than I like Death Proof. I think that's pretty clear. I don't enjoy movies where a lot of it is... I, revenge movies are not my, my wheelhouse, as we've said before. Yes. But it has the Tarantino charm, mm-hmm. which makes me like it. But yeah, like, it's just there's just not enough that I'm like, oh, so good that it makes it up into the 80s. Yeah. You know? There's enough of it that I'm like, it'll be a while before I watch this again. I would give it an 82, I think. I think it does creep into the 80s for me. And while, yes, of course, it's not the best game tarantino movie or rodriguez movie that you're going to see it's probably the best rodriguez movie we're gonna watch well it's probably the best one we're gonna watch on this show though because i mean do you think you're gonna rate the faculty higher maybe very possible maybe very possible (laughs) i fucking love the faculty But yeah, no, I think it does break into the 80s for me. I've also been thinking about our grading scale, and I think we have a particular grading scale where it's like, you know, 50s is eh. Like, anything less than 50 is bad. 50s is eh. 60s is okay. 70s is good. 80s is really good. And 90s is great. It's kind of the way I, I feel. Like, that's when we talk about these like benchmarks that it it pa- it surpasses at the at every 10. That's kind of the mindset that we have going into this. And I I think this crosses that 80 benchmark into really good. Not for me. Yeah. I feel you. I understand that completely. But just barely. <laughs> All right, that ends our Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino week with 1996's From Dusk Till Dawn and 2007's Grindhouse. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? So next week was supposed to be another recommendation week. And Chris and I were talking and we were like, we haven't done a movie that like just we want to watch in a uh-huh. long time. Sure. there We've liked most of the movies we've been watching lately. And, and oftentimes we'll put in a movie that we like, but we haven't just sat down and been like, what movies do we uh-huh. want to watch in a long time? What's a week just for us? So I asked Chris, well, okay, honey, what movie do you want to see? And he said Insidious. And we've had so many people that have recommended Insidious. Yeah, lots of recommendations. 
And we really like that movie. We fucking love Insidious. Insidious, I would argue, is probably where we discovered that we both like horror. Yeah, probably. We randomly, on a summer day, when it came out, whenever the fuck that was, were like, let's go see a movie. And we decided to go see Insidious, which I think we both thought was going to be terrible. Yes. And then blown away, and we just couldn't get over how blown away we were, and then it was like, we realized we both love horror. Uh-huh. 2010. There, well, that would make sense. That's like the early portion of our relationship. Yeah, that's... We started dating in like 2009. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I say a lot of people have recommended it. I can only find one person at the moment, but I know that other people have. I'm just not good at my job, apparently, guys. So, Michael, we're finally going to watch Insidious. Not because you chose it. <laughs> Let's get this clear. It's not because you requested it. <laughs> but we are going to be watching Insidious. So thank you, Michael, for having the same... Uh, sensibilities as we do. Now, when Chris said he wanted to watch Insidious, I was like, okay, well then we've got to watch another ghosty movie. Ghosty movie. And I was like, you know what? The stories have nothing to do with each other. No, so be prepared. But it's a ghost movie that I love that's been on the list for forever and we just never have had a chance to watch it. And I want to watch it, so we're going to watch... What Lies Beneath. Yeah! <laughs> so, What Lies Beneath and Insidious. We've referenced What Lies Beneath a couple different times on the show, so we're finally going to watch that. So, I'm very excited. Yeah, it's this be is going to be a week. good week for us. We're very <laughs> excited about this. All right, well, until then, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every single movie we've ever covered. If you want to make a recommendation and you're curious if we've covered it already, you can check on the website there. Or if you have a backlog of episodes that you want to listen to, you can find the ones that you might be interested in by finding movies that you're interested in. That's podcemetery.com. Don't forget to follow us in your podcatcher of choice. And rating and reviewing is the biggest help you can give us there. Uh, Even better than that is sharing us with your friends, and even better than that is listening in the GD First Place. We we love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Let me just say, I'm real happy about where we're at. We got a real nice, I don't fuck with you, you don't fuck with me attitude going on. Now, if everybody just keeps playing it cool, everybody's going to get what they want. Comprende, amigos? It's just that old school like that. Roll that rap over soul who's like that. It's just that old school like that. Roll that rap over soul who's like that. It's just that old school like that. Roll that rap over soul who's like that. It's just that old school like that. Roll that rap over soul who's like that. All right, can you say something? Hello, my name is Kelsey. Cool. (laughs) Don't look at me funny like you didn't say that weird. All right, so we left off at all of Quentin Tarantino's junk sloughing off. Hey, Samuel L. Jackson likes him. He's got to be kind of (laughs) cool. Sure, I guess. I guess. (laughs) He has a black friend. (laughs) I, uh, okay. I wish I knew who I thought he was. Yeah, but they've never. 
Oh, Bruce Willis was with Tarantino. And Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I just have a really bad memory. <laughs> Who are you really? Feets and butts and feet and butts and feet and butts. Butts and feet and butts and feet and butts and feet. One of the two stunt women. Swimmins? <laughs> that was a close one. Okay. All right. We'll take that out. Take that out. <laughs> hey, I'm looking for my buddy, Seth. Fuck you, everybody. Good night. <laughs>